Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Well, it's Mick Mulcahy and for Neil. Neil returning this day week to the hot seat. Cost of living crisis, uh, says the big headline on the front of the Evening Echo. Government must do more, says SVP, St. Vincent de Paul. Uh, the government has been urged to introduce further measures to help mitigate against the spiralling cost of living. The call to action came from Jerry Garvey, the Society of St. Vincent de Paul's Southwest Regional Coordinator, as he warned there's been a lot of calls from people in Cork seeking the charities assistance and uh, saving money also the front page of the mail shoppers can make huge savings by buying own brand products they say now shoppers can save up to 3,000 euros a year on grocery bills by choosing to buy own brand products in shops to help offset near record levels of inflation. With the average household now facing a €330 increase on their annual grocery bill, an analysis by the Irish Daily Mail found there are huge savings to be made by replacing some big-name brands with supermarket-owned brand products. And across Dunn Stores, Tesco and SuperValue, the savings are as substantial as €2,890 a year on a shop of 30 items. That's a huge saving, which would cost more than 5000 annually if uh, consumers opted for the better-known brands. And the Mail has uh, Tom Dooley, the well-known restaurant critic, much in the same vein, buying a supermarket's own brand doesn't mean a sacrifice in quality. Restaurant reviewer Tom Dooley is among those who carefully picks and chooses which supermarket own brand goods he buys. He said one item that is particularly impressive is the West Cork Buffalo Mozzarella from Aldi, which is absolutely stunning, he says, and I use it all the time. He said, although we are creatures of habit, very often in terms of the brands we automatically buy without thinking, we all simply need to start supporting own brand products because of the rise in inflation. He said, I think that consumers have experimented enough to realise that buying a supermarket's own brand doesn't necessarily mean a sacrifice in terms of quality or what you expect. I think it's only going to go in one direction, and that's more support for those products, said Mr. Dorley. Back to the weather, and as, uh, you know... Up and down as it's going to be today. Chilly, breezy, a little wet in places. The sun is to blaze in magic May, says the Irish Daily Star. Ireland basked in brilliant sunshine yesterday, with temperatures reaching the low 20s in some areas by mid-afternoon. Uh, we missed a lot of that here in the south, but up towards the Midlands and northwest, it was absolutely stunning. Thousands of people headed to beaches and parks around the country, while the good weather made for perfect playing conditions for big GAA football and hurling fixtures as well. While the weather uh, will be changeable in the coming days, Met Erin is forecasting a hot May uh, with two weeks of warm temperatures coming. But first, the country is heading for a mild week with unsettled weather at times, followed by, what they're saying, 14 days of fine, sunny weather. You two were in a bomb shelter last night in uh, Kiev. Well, two of them anyway, Bono and the Edge. Pride in the name of Kiev, uh, says uh, the star's front page. Bono tells the Ukraine it's fighting for all our freedom uh, while the Ukraine is, uh, is begging uh, the rest of the world to arm them. Uh, very stark uh, advert over the weekend that caught my eye says, please arm us. Uh, the olive branches won't defend us, uh, which was a very hitting statement. Boxer Kaylee Taylor speaking, uh, Katie Taylor speaking of hitting has called for a rematch with Amanda Serrano to be held in front of 80,000 fans at Crow Park. She was speaking yesterday. The undisputed world lightweight champion said, I would absolutely love to fight in Ireland. Imagine filling 80,000 seats. That would be very, very special. The Echo also has a story by Roisin Burke about older people, and one in five older people are saying rural Ireland is a poor place 
to grow old. A UCC study carried out in association with Age Action has found that nearly one in five older people surveyed in rural Ireland believe their community is a poor place in which to grow old. The report found that most older people living in rural areas express a strong desire to remain in their homes and communities as they age, but highlights the barriers they face in doing so. A survey conducted as part of the study found that 78% of respondents said it was very important to them to remain in their homes as they grow older, and the sense of attachment to home and place had for many strengthened since the pandemic. The top supports uh, participants in the survey identified as required to age in place in their homes include the need for a home repair and maintenance service, accessible and affordable home help packages, help in applying for grants for home modifications, requirements for a monitored personal alarm, and financial help uh, for the upkeep of the home. But just 27% of our elder respondents rated their community as an excellent place in which to grow older. 54 rated it as good and 19 uh, rated it as poor. One in five older people. Uh, regrets after O'Hara statue taken down. Cork County Council slammed persistent, distressing online commentary which led an artist to remove a sculpture of Maureen O'Hara from public display. Uh, we mentioned it last week. Uh, it was already gone at that stage. The sculpture of the Hollywood actress commissioned in 2020 at a cost of €33,000 uh, to Don Cronin was installed in her adopted home of Glengariff late April. Uh, but the sculptor decided to remove the statue and refused the commission following a major backlash online. The council said they were mindful of the impact of the online violation on the reputation of a respected, talented local artist and sincerely regrets the distress he and his family have experienced. United Ireland poll not even on the radar, says the examiner front page. Convening a citizens' assembly on a border poll is not even on the radar of the government despite the historic outcome of the Northern Ireland elections. Foreign Affairs Minister Simon Coveney has shot down any claims that the election results have brought a border poll closer, arguing that the balance between the nationalist vote and the unionist vote hasn't changed hugely. He added it was the middle ground alliance party, which more than doubled its seats, uh, representing outstanding change. It was a very interesting uh, weekend if you're looking at, at that election when uh, you really get a sense that people are tired of voting for worst possible outcomes uh, and they flocked in their droves to those with a more positive message, to those with a kind of a dream for the future rather than um, the dire predictions of doom uh, that they were uh, voting for before. Uh, Lewis rules out a United Ireland uh, referendum. Northern Secretary Brandon Lewis yesterday ruled out a border poll as he urged the parties to get back into Stormont. Will they get back into the Stormont? They have six months to do so. They'll probably take uh, five months and 29 days to come to a decision. Uh, if they can't uh, form, then there's going to be maybe, what, three or four weeks of prevarication, and then Brandon Lewis must call another election, which has to happen within three months. So you're looking at nine or ten months, I'd say, uh, and a brand new election. Uh, but it really is all down to the DUP. Will they go, uh, and as some are urging them to, follow the uh, democratic principle uh, and go into government, albeit uh, not in the top job. He said the unionist vote, but this is Brandon Lewis now, was still larger than support for nationalists, showing there wasn't overwhelming demand for a referendum on United Ireland, echoing Simon Coveney's thoughts there. Mr Lewis was speaking after the election with Sol Sinn Féin become the largest party and win the entitlement 
to nominate a first minister. He said Sinn Féin haven't gained seats. We haven't seen a growth in the nationalist vote. And indeed the unionist vote is still larger. And the number of seats held by unionist parties is still larger. Geoffrey Donaldson has called for action on the Northern Ireland Protocol before re-entering the executive. And Mr Lewis is to meet with all the leaders of the Stormont parties today about resurrecting the Assembly. The star has Gardaí claimed costs for non-existent trips. The auditors warn of an ethics breach over travel expenses. A Garda internal audit found that some officers were claiming overnight allowances for overnight trips that did not take place. Garda management had approved the practice instead of allowing those involved to claim for overtime, according to an internal audit. Uh, The practice came to light after an anonymous complaint saw Garda College management carry out an initial review before asking internal auditors to do a full inquiry. The audit of travel and subsistence payments also discovered other issues, including the claiming of travel and subsistence uh, subsistence expenses by members not stationed there without pre-approval. Of course, the big difference between claiming for travel and subsistence uh, is there's a tax-free element to it, whereas with the overtime, you're going to, of course, be heavily taxed. Uh, so the audit looked at 14 travel and subsistence claims and found that 12 involved claims for overnight expenses. And the good news today, it's a fair deal, F-A-R-E. Uh, just the ticket as the cost of using public transport is slashed by 20%. Fares on public transport will be slashed from today, the first such reduction in almost three quarters of a century. The price cuts are part of government plans to help reduce the cost of living and encourage more sustainable travel. It is weighted though to uh, the places where there are public services available and many people in rural Ireland will not see the benefit uh, as they rely on privately uh, privately uh, funded and owned companies uh, that give them their transport. So it's hoped that the move will be a success as the NTA, the National Transport Authority, has revealed that in areas where fares have recently been reduced, such as Galway and Limerick, passenger numbers are now ahead of pre-pandemic levels. Fares on Dublin Bus, Lewis, Go Ahead Ireland and Irish Rail's Dart and Commuter Services in the Greater Dublin area will drop by 20% for the rest of this year. All of Erin Road Erin's intercity and commuter fares across the country will also drop. And the cuts come after fares on bus errand and local link services were reduced by 20% as well last month. And those aged between 19 and 23 will now also receive a 50% reduction in fares on all subsidised public transport from today by using an existing student leap card uh, and uh, applying for a new young adult leap card. And the Echo and the Mirror saying young adult bus and fares uh, falling by 50%. Young people will see their fares on public transport reduced by 50% from today. Uh, the Irish Times has the cervical cancer story. Uh, Paul Cullen, the health editor there, reporting that cervical cancer samples from Ireland are still uh, being screened abroad. All cervical cancer samples from Irish women are being sent abroad for screening, despite promises in the aftermath of the cervical check controversy to beef up lab capacity here at home. The only Irish cervical screening lab at the Coombe Hospital in Dublin stopped processing samples last December when the hospital suffered a cyber attack, the HSC has confirmed. And the Independent has a 20% rise in pet ownership over the COVID period is among the range of factors uh, behind shortage in places. Dog owners planning 
Uh, their summer holidays are being advised to seek kennel accommodation for their pets as soon as possible because a massive increase in demand has led to a shortage of spaces. Good business to get into then. Many kennels and dog minders are having to turn away new customers because of demand uh, on their services is putting on extra pressure and a big jump in the numbers of people travelling since COVID restrictions were lifted, an increase in dog ownership during the COVID lockdowns and the closure of some kennels due to rising insurance costs have all been put forward as possible reasons for the spike in demand for existing places. If you're going on holidays, book a place for your pet. The number one talk show in Cork. If it's happening in Cork, Neil is talking about it. The Neil Prendeville Show on Red FM. And to our phone lines we go, and Sean on line two. Good morning, Sean. Hey, Colin, how are you? Oh, very good. Now, you were you were talking about Patrick's Key last week and the fact that there is an impending move by the powers that be to remove the bus services uh, in what's yeah. long been a, a place for people to uh, be dropped off and picked up by buses. Yeah. The, it's not just Patrick's the traffic, Key. The traffic capacity as well. It's it's basically they'll turn, it's being turned into a lane where... Um, and you have, they're going to, the same proposal on the opposite side of the river. But I, I have no problem with pedestrianising the inner core and um, this al fresco joining, but you, you still need your arteries around this, the city to get traffic through. And those were both vital arteries, and they're being compromised. They're being cut back in capacity. They've already done it with Washington Street, was another important exit point, and, and McCartan Street is another important uh, street to get the traffic through the city quickly rather than turning it into a car park, you know? Okay, so of course. They've, they've taken things too far. Yeah, and I know that parking on Patrick Street itself is banned after 3 p.m., isn't it? And there's no loading bays there either on Saturday. No loading is another thing. They don't want cars in the city. They don't want, they don't seem to want business in the city either if they're turning away in commercial vehicles, especially on a Saturday morning. Business carries on. Not everyone is able to go home at 5 o'clock on a Friday. Or, or before it, but like everything in moderation, and and think of it, try to keep everything moving. Just not this obsession with two wheels good, four wheels bad, and yeah. don't forget the buses will be using that same space. So they'll they'll be stuck in a car park as well. But like, not every street has to be a has to be. Um, Idiot proofed, as they say, for say pedestrians and and whatnot. Uh, like, and we're comparing ourselves with Europe. I was in took that Bordeaux flight out to Cork from Cork two or three weeks ago. Lovely cycling city, but you still have your arteries, and the equivalent of the keys in Cork in Bordeaux would be a four-way flow. There'd be two way, two directions, and a little island in the middle, so pedestrians and the pedestrians follow the rules. They wait for the light and they cross. We seem to think here we have to uh, design it that a pedestrian doesn't have to walk more than five or six paces. So everything is shriveled into one. Uh, people abroad actually behave themselves crossing a road. They know how to cross a road and they follow, their, follow the light. And yeah, okay. you also have, a, I noticed, in a, it was actually on a local paper, Pontevedria, I think I'm, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, in Spain, went the same route as what Cork is doing. But... Um, well, the same idea, but not the same route. They actually built an underground car park for 1,500 spaces for free close to the city. Where the luck, the chances of that happening here. And they also removed traffic lights and put in roundabouts instead because they're more efficient. Whereas we have two perfectly functioning roundabouts in 
Douglas Finger Post and the Wilton Roundabout and the proposals in these plans are to signalise them. So, again, welcome to Kilnis Gully. Let's do the exact opposite to whatever the, 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 the smart people are doing. Yeah, let's, do let, let's look at Patrick's Key again because that's where, that's where the focus of people's ire is coming towards the council. Yeah. Because people find these services very valuable and, you know... The most yeah. important thing is they find them very convenient. We have the bridge across yeah. to the uh, to the bus station on Parnell Place, and you you have interconnectivity really. Uh, there's yeah. there's very few cars can park on Patrick's Key anyway. What if we were yeah. to sacrifice the car parking spaces uh, and leave the buses? Would that be an idea? Possibly, but there isn't that many parking either. Yeah, probably. There's nothing wrong with making it all for buses, but. Uh, it's, it doesn't look like it's going to keep anyone happy the way it's going now. Well, uh, and Merchants yeah, Key, they're the, putting a cycle lane as well, are they? They're removing one of the... Tra- uh, you, it's virtually impossible now to get across the city on a Friday afternoon. If you And for business and travel and what... It's, people have to. It's not like we're going through the city just to admire the scenery. If, but if you want to get from the south side across the Black Pool... From the sta- you're you're backed up to the Kinsale roundabout. You get to the Elise and, and you crawl through because that's down to one lane. You get to the Merchants Key and you're on and you have two lanes. It somewhat moves because but now they'll remove that. Anything that seems to half work, oh let's get rid of it. The bus system, as you say, that worked. Okay, let's let's get let's it's these tinkermen in there. It's like that soccer coach, the tinkermen. They are, they can't leave anything alone. Oh, we have to change and everything gets worse. And uh, you, you know? you're you're in the business of driving, are you? I would somewhat. I'm not in Cork City much anymore. I just for the sake of my uh, my sanity. But uh, any time I have it, there's utter frustration. Or when I go through, even I rarely go through that. I don't see the the boys and their with their ticker tickets, their parking tickets in action. A busy, busy little crowd of beavers, aren't they? Never, what, 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 what's it like for a truck driver in in Cork City and Oh, Cork, I wouldn't even don't even ask me. But even for a, a van, it's any kind of a. It's just utter frustration. And the, the Saturday just shows the content they have in the city or the, their ignorance of, of how business works. Saturday morning, apparently, there was, uh, God forbid, a couple of drivers taking advantage of loading base. So let's just wipe the whole to note. Okay. Uh, and and as, as I say, the, the airwaves yeah, are open to anybody who wants to put the other yeah. argument across here. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And, but on the cycling, again, and I cycle as well. I have a car, van. Cycle, walk. The cycling is just, again, tinkermen with their little lanes and bollards and paint, which uh, I don't even want. Uh, my idea of going for cycling is that I can actually go whichever direction I want to. And they have built nothing of, of nose for cycling. We've been promised they were going to build an overpass from Grange through the Tremor Valley Park and into the city, which would be a wonderful cycling addition. But that just seems to be a pipe dream. Even the ex- exit from Tremor Valley Park onto Half Moon Lane, we are hearing excuse after excuse after excuse that that can't be done. That would make a difference. Would free easier access into Tremor Valley, which is a nice place to, to cycle. Or follow along the river. Again, is what these continentals do. Follow the river, which are cycling lanes. But no, the UCC and Cricket Club and everyone else has made has made a little land grab along the banks of the river. You could cycle from Bishopstown into the city along the river. Forget the roads. You don't even need to be near the road. But no. Well, we'll wait and see. We have the rest of the month and I think they're going to be considering uh, maybe other options. Unless it's a fait accompli, we'll wait and see. Maybe the buses yeah. will be, uh, are destined to Fingers finish uh, supplying services at the end of May. Mm-hmm. On, on Patrick's queue, that is. They'll move to three devolved locations. 
Um, and um, I, I, can't, I can't see it making it easier for anybody, but there you go. <laughs> All right, Sean. Okay. Thanks, Colin. Th- thanks a million. Thanks. Bye-bye. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. It's 29 minutes past nine. A very good Monday morning to you. Now by uh, email to neil at uh, redfm.ie. It's uh, time the out-of-hours GP service and standard GP practices here leave their virtual world and uh, begin to meet their patients face-to-face once again. By refusing one-on-one consultations, they are prolonging people's pain and misery. Over the weekend, I had my own battle with South Dock. I was back and forth with them until they eventually had a GP who agreed to see me in person. I have been battling a chest infection since last month, following a telephone consultation with my own GP. Over the phone, he prescribed four steroids daily for five days and a backup of antibiotics if I needed them. I followed my GP's advice, but it didn't resolve my breathing issues fully. Fast track to Saturday. I contacted South Oak again when I had a full-blown asthma attack and severe chest infection uh, as I was away with family. They wanted to prescribe over the phone again, but I dug my heels in. When I saw the GP, I was put on a nebulizer for 10 minutes and uh, prescribed eight steroids daily, uh, and along with a very strong antibiotic I need. Uh, to take twice daily for five days. Now, I'm not alone in my situation. A neighbour of mine has a one-year-old son who has been ill since ill since birth. Over the Easter weekend, the family had to contact a local GP up the country as they had taken advantage of the Easter break. The youngster also had a severe chest infection with a temperature of 39.8 degrees, which is high for someone so small. The mother tells me the GP refused to see the toddler, but after a back and forth with the service, they eventually agreed on the basis he had a negative antigen. At this point, it was a situation that the child required an antibiotic or hospitalisation. I believe these incidents are not isolated and would welcome your listeners' input. If both of these cases were dealt with on a one-to-one basis, I believe we would not have been so ill for so long, pumping more drugs than I prefer into my system. Face-to-face appointments, please. No wonder hospitals are overrun with this carry-on. Let's go to line two and Rebecca O'Reardon. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning. Now, you were the organiser of the Access uh, to Children's Disability Services, the protest last Friday, which we covered, uh, and our news team was there, and we spoke to uh, various people. Indeed, it made the uh, the Neil Prendeville Show promo over the weekend. One of the participants was so enraged with the lack of support and services. Were you happy with the turnout? We were, absolutely. Um, it was a it was a kind of a joint march between ourselves and Dublin and Enniscorthy, and all the marches were really well attended, um, especially given the fact that obviously this is a very difficult bunch, this is a difficult bunch of people to get out on the streets, you know, people are very tired, they can't make it, um, it was a weekday, it was lashing rain. I mean, I, I was blown away by the turnout, absolutely. Okay, now Anne Rabbit is the Minister of State with Responsibility for Disabilities and has recently acknowledged, now it's her words, massive state investment, I'm not sure if you'd agree with that, uh, but she says massive state investment in disability services is not delivering for children who need it. You would obviously agree with that? Absolutely. Um, I mean, in fairness to Anne Rabbit, she has, she has tried uh, again and again to highlight this issue, she's, I mean, we're, as parents, we're sitting at home opening newspapers, watching our children's futures be batted around like a political football between everybody. Uh, but I suppose we have to ask ourselves, why doesn't she have, why isn't she the one who has the power in this situation? Um, why is it that she's having to beg for these meetings? Who's in power here? And at what point are we going to stand up and say, enough is enough and get the power back? Mm-hmm. 
So she's claiming tens of millions of euro going directly into the de- uh, delivery of children's therapies. Um, but it seems the investment uh, is not delivering for children or parents in its current form. You wouldn't have a demonstration otherwise. Um, yeah, this, there's actually 3.5 million is actually the yearly allocated budget for children's disability services. Now, to put that into perspective, that is um, that was, you know, they've spent 1.2 million since 2018 um, just fighting assessment of need cases in the courts. You know what I mean? So they're spending almost, uh, they're spending all this money on fighting people who are trying to access these basic requirements for their children. Sorry, can you elaborate um, on that? They're fighting assessment of need cases in the courts. Oh yeah, like I mean they spent, they, in a, a recent um, Freedom of Information request found out that they actually, since 2018, the HSE has spent 1.2 million euros on legal fees relating to the assessment of need cases that are going through the courts. Okay, so what does that mean? You 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 go for an assessment you're deemed not to be eligible, and well, and what no. Happens? So basically, under the Disability Act, every child is entitled to have the nature and extent of their disability assessed, um, and what that what that should within a certain time frame as well. So what that should mean is that if I have um, a newborn baby and I have concerns about them or whatever or five-year-old or whatever, um, and I go to the HSE and I say, I have concerns that my child may have additional needs and they may need physio, something like that. And so under the Disability Act, my child is entitled to be assessed uh, by a multidisciplinary uh, team and to have um, a statement of their needs given to me. So I know exactly, right, this is my child actually has this or they have this condition and I need to give them OT, I need to give them SLT, here's when I'm going to get those services, etc, etc. Okay, so at this this stage now, in an ideal world, uh, Mm -hmm. a a door, a symbolic door should be opening to you uh, to get this assessment uh, complete. Yes, well, unfortunately what happened was two years ago, um, in an, in an effort to uh, bring down the waiting lists um, to the detriment of children, um, the HSE enacted a new procedure where instead of getting that assessment, they would essentially, um, you'd go and you'd have um, an, a one-hour kind of appointment um, and they'd say, okay, your child has a disability or they don't have a disability and they would just signpost you to another waiting list. And the idea behind that was to get the waiting list, it was basically to fluff the numbers, it was to make it look like, oh, look at, aren't we brilliant, we got the waiting list down, all these children are off the assessment of need waiting list. However, it was it was ruled unlawful in the High Court um, only about two months ago. Which and means they have now have to undergo the expense of fulfilling those children's constitutional rights. Exactly. Um, now, the scary thing about that is that the examiner ran um, a, ran a story about the protest on Saturday, and on page six of the examiner, you can see a very prime example of what we as parents are dealing with when it comes to the HSE, because they ha- they literally have the audacity, the audacity to say that the uh, the total number of overdue assessments has fallen by seventy two percent. Now, for any person reading that, they'll go, "Well, look, the HSE are doing their best." They completely, they completely gloss over the fact that it took 30 or so families taking them to the High Court to get that reversed. The only reason that list came down by 72% was because they enacted an unlawful procedure in order to try and 
deny our children their basic right under the Disability Act. They say there's 1,464 children awaiting assessment. What about the 10,000 children who got this unlawful assessment over the last two years? Because it wasn't even an assessment. You can't assess a child's needs in one hour. That's crazy. Like, you can't decide what services a child needs forevermore off the basis of meeting them for 60 or 90 minutes. I'm just so surprised that that, that, that there seems to be an an overt and sinister motive uh, to massage the numbers for for political gain or or whatever at the expense of proper proper consultations, proper diagnosis for children. If if they're this emboldened that they if they're this you know that they can be this overt about their blatant lying that they would say it in a national paper. When every, I mean, it, it was in the papers when, when the court case happened and when the, the judgment was handed down in the high court. Like, this isn't, it isn't like a secret that these 10,000 children were given an unlawful assessment. And then that they have the audacity to just pretend that those 10,000 children don't exist. Wow. This is, just the, this is just the tip of the iceberg of what parents are having to deal with every single day. When Anne Rabbit came down to court, the, the figures and the, the uh, information that she had been given by the HSE was at best a massaging of figures or a manipulation and at worst a barefaced lie. And we want to know why is it that they can literally continuously lie like this publicly and that nobody is taking them to task on it? Where is our Taoiseach? Well, you're, 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 ta- you're taking of the task in it. Uh, Micheál Martin has also accepted failings in the provision of disability services. His comment was, we've allocated resources for more therapists. But let's, let's hear from Katie Byrne, 15, from Cove County Cork, who has cerebral palsy and underwent life-changing surgery in the US some years ago, which allowed her to walk. But she told the Cork Rally that she's not had physiotherapy in uh, two years. She said, and I quote her, we need extra help to be able to live our lives to the best of our abilities. And when you don't do what you're elected or employed to do, you're failing every one of us, unquote. And she also said, if this was any other job that you were all failing at, you'd all be fired on the spot. And remember this, people like me will be old enough to vote one day and will be among the people who will decide if you keep your job or not. Yep, she's right. I mean, if this was a tidy towns committee, there would be accountability. And yet um, a system which is designed to protect and support our most vulnerable members of society, and there is nothing. There is no accountability. And there can be no safety without accountability. We shouldn't have to have teenagers out on the streets in the pouring rain sharing these things. We shouldn't have to have children begging for the most basic services to help them to thrive. Okay, Rebecca, stay with me. Yvonne, good morning. Hi, good morning. Hi, your son has autism. My son has autism, moderate intellectual disability. Um, He's still in nappies. He's seven and he's in a special needs bogey because he's a flight risk. He's in a special... Sorry, I lost you there. He's he's in a special needs... Bogey. Bogey, I get get you. Is he verbal or non-verbal? He's non-verbal. Okay, seven years of age. What services within the school uh, are you enjoying, if that would be the correct word, are you availing of? Absolutely no services in his school. He's in Our Lady of Good Counsel Special School, and there is no services whatsoever going into the school. 
so what in, in, in that sort of regime, what sort of a day does he have there in a in a restricted buggy? Like he's um he's not in the buggy when he's in school, but when you take him out he has to go into the buggy because he's a flight risk. Okay, and, and he'd endanger himself. So there's a there's a flight risk there. Okay, you've, um, you've also a daughter who's 15 years of age. Have services been adequate for her? She's got ADHD. Um, can't refer to her for ASD assessment. She's 15. God knows how long we'll be waiting. She's, she's um, got a lot of issues as well that she needs help with. She's sensitive to touch, sensitive to noise. And there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing. And she's really struggling as well as my son. I'm a single parent. I'm doing it on my own. But like, when you ask them for help, you get nothing. It's, it's shocking. It's shocking that we have to march in the rain, that we, have to, that we have to fight for these things that are our children's human rights. I'm so angry about it, so upset. Human and constitutional. Sorry? They're human and constitutional rights. Life must be very difficult for you, Yvonne, as a single parent. It is, because you, you asked them for help. I'm asking for an OT to get on to me to see what the next step from the buggy is. Because he's seven, like, he's going on eight in August. And I'm getting nowhere, absolutely nowhere. I'm, I've asked him for respite for my son, even one weekend every six weeks would, would be great. And you're getting nowhere. The waiting lists are so long. He can't give you a timeline and you get all these excuses. There's no need for it for your children's human rights. And I'm not the only one. There's, there's so many parents fighting. It's, it's shocking. Like, they're human rights and they're leaving our vulnerable children down. All right, Yvonne, thank you very much for that. Rebecca, is there another protest planned? It's, I know you kind of had it planned to be an annual one. Is that enough? Um, no. So basically, we have decided um, after the after the march on Friday, we all had a chat about it, and um, you know, we decided basically that this can't wait twelve months, um, and we wanted to build on the momentum of this march because, frankly, it was the first time that we felt that we had a voice in a very long time, and you know, we're as we're literally like we're. We're a bunch of families who are we're fighting through the courts, we're fighting through complaints, we're emailing, we're calling. It's not like these people are unaware that this situation is happening. They're fully aware. Um, so the only thing that we can keep doing, I mean, we have requested a meeting with Michal Martin. We have not received a response to that yet. Um, so we will be having another um demonstration and we will be having it before the end of the summer uh, we're trying to decide uh, between we have been speaking with Dublin um, our kind of Dublin branch of FUS um, because we kind of basically the doll is going to be leaving again in July and we wanted to make sure that we can have the best attendance possible and that allows as much people to attend as possible but we also are starting to feel like why are we marching on the doll when they clearly have no power so maybe it's time to march on the HSE. Maybe it's time to make them listen to us because the doll certainly isn't listening to us. They're not even, they're not even turning up. I'm sure, Rebecca, if money was the answer, that money would and could be found to help your issue. But it's more than that, really. It's, oh, pro- it's provision of, of, of trained, 
consultants, provision of services, provision of facilities. It's bad management at the end of the day. It's bad. You, I mean, if you were, if you were, if you went into work in the morning and somebody next to you was not doing their job properly and instead of actually firing them, you gave them a promotion, obviously your, your workplace wouldn't, wouldn't be thriving. And that goes for any workplace. And that's essentially what we have here. We have um, a, a situation that has been left to fester for so long that it is now absolutely rotten to the core. And we are fed up of it because our children are having to suffer as a result of the lack of accountability. They have policies upon policies and nobody who is actually enacting any of those policies. Okay. There is no oversight. Rebecca, we'll wrap up with you in a moment. Please stay with us again. But we have Orla now, who's another parent on line four. Good morning, Orla. Morning. Now, your son, Michael, is nine. He is, yeah. And he was born with a rare genetic issue, brain injury. Yeah, his syndrome is called LCAM1. Basically, it's hydrocephalus. Um, he's affected with epilepsy as well, and he's developmentally delayed and physically uh, just delayed as well. Okay, so he is now fully dependent, wheelchair-bound? 100% dependent on myself and his father, yeah. Uh, and what support are you getting? None. At all? At all. And um, the only support that we have is currently um, school, uh, with SNAs and a teacher. And um, there, we had a speech and language therapy appointment there two weeks ago, and for a feds clinic. And I asked the speech and language therapist, "Can we concentrate now on communication? Because my son is peg fed. Um, he's fed through a tube surgically implanted into his stomach." So, like, I'm not and have ever really been reliant on oral feeding for my son. So I want her agenda to change to communication and not feeding, eating, drinking and swallowing assessments. Okay. As so what they have been for the last nine years. So, so the therapies, are they being financially supported for you? No. No? Um, no, we, we have not got physiotherapy. We haven't got occupational therapy as I said we only got um, speech and language there two weeks ago um, we were waiting we are attending private therapies um, currently only physio at the moment because we're, we're actually on a waiting list for, for private speech and language and private OT okay but you are on a waiting list we are on a waiting list for public services, yes. For how long are you on that list? Uh, we have been on it for five years and we will be on it for another five years for physio and OT. Ten years? Ten years. So no physio yeah. or speech and language and other services. All therapies have to be paid for by you and your husband. That puts the family under some strain, I imagine. It does, yeah. Okay. It's very stark, it's, and it's a very negative uh, topic to be covering, but it's something we have to do as a public service because uh, these are real people, real citizens of Ireland with real needs. Uh, real children that need the help and support. And like us carers, we've been quiet for too long, and it's only thanks to Rebecca and Rachel, uh, Rebecca in Cork and Rachel in Dublin that these marches and protests did take place. And do you think they'll get bigger? They have to. Orla, we're going to take one more parent before we wrap up. Patrick, good morning. Thanks, Orla. Uh, Your son has special needs as well, and you've got to fight for everything. Mm -hmm. Patrick? 
Yo, hi, hi. hi. Yeah. yeah. Your son has special yeah. needs? Well, what happened was um, we had to look for it ourselves. So when he was developed, all his milestones were missed, right, When he through the different agencies. So we ended up having to go to Professor uh, Fitzgerald above in Dublin, pay privately, to get to get a label on him, right? But what I had to do then is I had to go back to college. I had to retrain and retool myself and empower myself so that when we're sitting across the room from these people, that they sit up in the chair when they listen to you, that you know what you're talking about. This is what parents have to do in this country now, just to get the rights and services that are there. Look, there was meant to be legislation brought into the doll by uh, uh, an ex-TD, uh, Michael McCarthy in Dunmanway, right? Mm-hmm. And it was to give the rights to the children over and above the services. In other words, that it enshrined their rights under the state, that the schools and everyone of, of the people that were providing these, the uh, individual educational plans, the multidisciplinary team that you hear about here, these are all the different people that are involved in your child's life that should be there to make sure that it's a tailor-made service for the kids, you know? And look, luckily enough, I uh, learned myself, I, we did an awful lot of the work ourselves at home, Michael, but like, we, we had to bring a, a flotilla to Cork and to Dublin. I think these ladies have to do the same. You have to go to the to the capital and you have to get people to help and just publicise it and get the people to go up there because this affects a hell of a lot. Imagine there's only one neurologist that was outside of Dublin for the whole rural county of, of, of the whole rural area of Ireland. One. One. You know, and, and one. Like, we, we missed an appointment, right? Because when we, we didn't check in at the desk from the first one, which we were waiting for a mm-hmm. year, and we were putting on a waiting list then for another year. Another year. So I rang up, and in fairness to the nurse that was there, Pam Knightley, she found a, a, a cancellation for us, and it was six months. So this is what you're dealing with, like. And look, these kids need to develop, and if you put in the interventions at the start, right, it'll be huge to their outcomes. Uh, in, in earlier life themselves and give them their own tools. Like these children can be helped very, very successfully if they're given the right intervention at the right time. I've proven that with our own kid. He's a massive young fella now, right? But like this is horrific to remind people like myself of what we had to go through to get what's right and what's meant to be there for our children. It is absolutely crazy that 20 years on, we're still having these conversations. It's ridiculous. And you, you went, to, colli- and you went to college to learn your rights. I went back, I went to do a night class to do special needs and instead it turned out that I had to do a full year of childcare course. So I actually had, I can go into a childcare set- setting now, but the full works. But just to learn what we need to learn ourselves, to empower ourselves, to get a r- what's right and what's right for our kids. But you learn, like the OTs, you have to learn what they know themselves so that you can implement those programs for your own children and that's what it boils down to that's what we're what people are forced to do and it's crazy even if they did training courses for parents to help them to help their own children to be something like but there's it's it's chaotic in what's going on here and you can't blame the people the ot's and the other people that are there to to do the services the numbers aren't there so the resources aren't given and it's you know it's shoddy work and people have to be held to account just like was said by that 15 year old you know if it's, it's out of the mouth the babes is the innocence like these people see it there's no agenda with these kids like you know they just want a chance to function the same as any other kid or inside in the school with them imagine to think that there's a child of 7 or 8 years of age has to be tied into a buggy because it might take off but my child was a flight risk as well too um, when he was younger like but he came through it because he was taught 
the skill set not to do that and he was made awareness. That's what's needed. But imagine a school to, 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 to force a child into a buggy that they can't take him out like all the other kids running around and he has to look at that. They, they, these children have the same intelligence as the other kids. They're not stupid like. They're just different. They're wired different in their minds. And you know, people want to, in, in, in positions that are able to do something about this, our elected politicians need to do more. Simple as that. And if they can't do it, they should step aside and let somebody else in there. You know, this is crazy. You're part right of the fisheries group, Patrick. Are you thinking of bringing a flotilla to Dublin? No, we did already. Like, as I'm saying, this is, this is, this is the only way you're going to get attention in this country is, is to make a big show and show the people, just like the micro group above and the in Donegal, like it's crazy that we're 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 forced into this again. You know, where are the people that are elected to represent us? Why aren't they meeting the people in their constituency offices? And they're the ones that should be fighting this. They should be the ones up on the stage shouting for this. Not not ordinary individual people. They have enough to do to be looking after the kids. You know, this is this is crazy stuff. What's going on? Yeah, I, I imagine p- parents crazy. in this situation have more than enough to do to just try look after the kids without having to protest. I, I, Guaranteed, like, you know, these children need help and support and, and to be looked after, and their parents are doing it 24 7. And all, right, all they're looking for is the tools and the assistance to do that. I don't think it's a big ask, Michael. Well said. Thank, thank you very much. Uh, Rebecca, I'll wrap up with you in a moment if you just don't mind holding one more minute, please. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now 0818 104 106. Red FM. And a very good morning at four minutes to ten from the Neil Prendeville Show. Final words from Rebecca O'Reardon, who is the organiser of Fight for Access to Children's Disability Services. Uh, Rebecca, take this moment, if you will, for an impassioned plea. Uh, if you were trying to get on the national news now, here's your opportunity. What do you want the government to do? It's more than money. It is. Um, so what we want the HSE to understand is that parents, as they, they outlined this themselves in the key documents going back as far as 2011, that parents have a unique viewpoint when it comes to the provision of children's disability services. They are implementing each different section and then they're holding it up and wondering why it doesn't work. We need the immediate implementation of the parent forums outlined in these key documents as far back as 2011. Progressing disabilities will never work without parent input because we're the ones who see the cracks before they turn into cliff faces. So they need to do that. They need to address the issue of personal budgets for respite because we are have we have families and even those who do get access to respite, they're not getting the hours that they have been awarded. Why isn't the money why is the money that's that has been allocated not getting through to them? What is going wrong with it? Where is the money going? We need a commitment to end the practice of families paying for equipment. This is equipment that children need to literally just exist. Like, it's not to go do anything crazy. It is not a luxury. A a buggy or a wheelchair or a bath seat, none of that stuff is a luxury. No family should have to go public with their story. No family should have to create a GoFundMe 
just for these things that should be covered under the medical card. They are covered under the medical card. So why are they so difficult to get? Okay, Julianne um, Conine is from Upper Glanmire, the sole carer for her son Liam, who's 15. She said they feel abandoned by the government and the HSC. She said we feel very alone, very neglected. Liam needs occupational therapy, speech and language therapy, a whole suite of services, but he's just not getting them. I've no respite, no home support, no home help, nothing. And Gavin Owens from Carrigaline and his sons Dahi 9 and Tomas 8, who were diagnosed with autism following private assessments, have never been assessed by the HSC. We got two Three two-hour parenting sessions. That's been the extent of the intervention from the HSC. That's the reality of it. Uh, we salute your efforts to bring um, publicity to this very noble cause, Rebecca O'Reardon, the organiser of Fight for Access. I imagine there will be another uh, march and protest, uh, possibly before the year is out, yes? Yes, and you can, if anybody wants to get involved, um, you can contact us. On, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. It's FUS Ireland, so Families Unite for Services and Support. Um, it is a, an all-encompassing group. Um, it doesn't matter if you're fighting for a dyslexia assessment or if you're fighting for respite or fighting for a wheelchair or okay. whatever you need. It's everybody's welcome and everybody's equal and we'll, we'll do this together. Thank you, Rebecca. News at 10 is next. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. That's uh, our new phone number, by the way, 0818-104-106. And that text line again is 0868-104-106. And by text, I agree regarding the GPs. They're not doing right by their patients here also. And I've recently been told they no longer print off and hand you your prescription, but rather you have to designate a pharmacy for them to send it out to. Personally, I want to have mine uh, and get it dispensed wherever I want. Uh, just for the record, I'm a private patient, so I assume if you have a medical card, uh, you wouldn't be given even that choice. Ruth is on line one. Good morning, Ruth. Good morning. How are you? Very good. Now, just to continue um, on the health care issue, you're originally from Cork. You moved to the UK nine years ago. Uh, for what reason? I moved to the UK primarily because my son wasn't getting the services that he should be getting in Ireland. And also I trained as a special needs teacher and there was no teaching post there. So it was... So it's, it, it, it was a double bonus, uh, e- even though you had to move, that you might find employment and he might avail of better services. Yeah, it was a double bonus, but I had spent, oh gosh, about 10 years of his life fighting for services for him. And I was on first name basis with politicians I shouldn't even know. We had a very strong parent group in Our Lady of Good Council in Balancholic. And we did presentations and everything to Michal Martin, Michael McGrath, Jerry Bottomer, and Simon Coveney. And it just seems now when I'm listening to what's going on in Cork again at the moment, it just seems like we were paid platitudes at the time. How, 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 how did your son uh, progress through the services given to him across the water? And uh, was it a successful decision to move there? It was successful for him. Uh, for me personally, no, I'd love to be at home. But he is the most important person in all of this because we have to get him as independent as we can get him. And in the UK, there's an education, care and health plan 
that every child with special needs has from the age of four to 25. And that's a legal document that requires the local authority to provide whatever services that child needs. That is reviewed annually, but in the favour of the child, not in the favour of cost-cutting or... Or massaging the figures. Yeah, definitely not massaging figures. The HSE, the Brussels Charity and Co-op have been massaging figures for years. And it's a case of they're top-heavy, they're full of managers, and there's very few on the ground floor. Uh The reconfiguration of the therapy services about 10 years ago was the nail in the coffin for therapies in Cork. And we could see that as parents. We tried to fight that as parents, but nobody wanted to listen because it didn't suit their agenda. Ruth, can I ask you... Am I angry at listening to it? Yes, I am. can Can I ask you, if you would, to paint a picture of your son's day as it would would pan out here in Ireland if he hadn't moved and then give us the reality of what his day is now. I'm interested in what the differences would be. Well, my son's day in Ireland was actually fine. He loved going to our Lady Good Council. It was my day was totally different because I was on the phone constantly to the HSE, to the Brothers of Charity, to different politicians. And when I came over here then and we got his education, care and health plan in place, Now there is no fight. The services are there for him. We are contacted by the speech therapist every week because he has one-to-one every week. Even in college now. He's going to college now. He's 19. And he just, his independence has grown hugely because he's got the supports in place. Mm -hmm. What what I'm asking to try and um, make a stab at, if you could, is what would he be doing today in Ireland versus what he's doing today in the UK? At 19 years of age, I'd say he would be lucky if he was in admin services in Ireland. I actually think, because I know I have friends at home who have struggled to get transport for their, their kids to get them into the adult services in Ireland. And that's a very bleak picture for any parent, because as a parent of a child with special needs, you always have to plan so far ahead so that you know that things will be in place for them. And that was one of the reasons we moved to the UK. He's going to college then. Does does he have some travel independence? He actually gets the tube into our local town, Oxbridge, and then there's a, a coach that goes from there out to his college, which is a maidenhead. So okay. his college is a good hour and a half away from where we are, but... He loves it. He rings me every time he gets on a bus, gets off a bus, gets on the tube, off a tube, so I know where he is at all times. And I also have a tracker on his phone, so I know where he is at all times. But his independence for him and his confidence is huge. Just, uh, I've been asked to announce, uh, Ruth, uh, completely off the topic, but there's been a serious accident at Denny's Cross, a serious motor accident. Please avoid the area to allow emergency services uh, access. There are four cars involved, a serious accident at Denny's Cross. Uh, okay, back to you and your stor- story, Ruth. He obviously then has independence and he has a little bit of self-determination. He may not have had if he had uh, to be having his mum continually fighting for services here. Absolutely, and at home you would have had to fight for transport even into the local colleges or you transport yourself. 
everything is a cost factor. And yes, there are children and we should be financially responsible for them, but give them the support at a very young age and they will not be a financial liability on the economy as they get older. Mm-hmm. But wh- wh- whatever medical topic we, 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 you know, we bring up on this programme, uh, and they're all very heartfelt and they're all very worthy and they're all very uh, needful cases, it, it seems to me there's always this wall of bureaucracy, this high-paid, money-wasting bureaucracy uh, when there is any interaction between the voting public and the HSE, it just seems to be a wall of managers saying no. It is a wall of managers, not just the HSE though, because um, there was a man a few years ago, because I, I had war with the HSE, with therapy services, and I remember being told that they provided the funding to the Brunswick charity and they didn't ask for any accountability. That's wrong. There's something wrong there somewhere. Because every company has to provide accountability. So if you can just give public money to a a charitable organisation, then that has to be accounted for. Or if children were not getting the services that they needed, so where was the money going to? I do know there are layers and layers and layers of management right throughout all the system. And there's very few on the ground floor. And by the way, make a speech service at that time, if she was in, if she started in the job, she started on 30,000. Within three years, without any further qualifications or any further training, they went up to 60,000. Wow. So again, it doubled. that doesn't work in the real life. So how is that possible? Do you know, if I'm progressing in my job, I have to do different courses. So it doesn't make sense to me. So yes, there's probably a shortage of therapists now because of the reconfiguration of the therapy services. And that was that was sold to parents and Inclusion Ireland came well on board with the government on this. And that was sold to parents as the best thing for every child in the country and it was the worst thing that could ever have happened. Because every parent that I spoke to, we all knew that it was just a reduction in therapy input. We could see that. A blind man could see that. You, you seem to keep pretty well abreast of the situation here in Ireland uh, from the UK, uh, Ruth. Absolutely. I still have a lot of friends in Ireland and I go back there every half term and I listen to Red FM any time I'm off or any time I have PPA time. So it's a case of Yes, I do keep very much abreast because I can't believe, and I'm still so angry, that in the years that we've been fighting for what our children needed, that nothing has changed. And yet the same people are in government. And that's, there's something wrong. There is something seriously wrong with that. There is something seriously wrong when you have to leave your country to get the... uh the requisite treatment for somebody who is entitled to it here under, uh, under their constitutional rights uh, and under human rights. But you see, the constitutional rights in Ireland only go the government's way. They don't go the, the children's way at all. Because they're used... The government signed up to the Salamanca Statement in Spain in 2004. They never implemented that. So why bother signing up to Salamanca Statement? And that would have ensured, ensured and enshrined all the rights of children with special needs in the country. 
but they signed up to it, but they didn't implement it. And just like that previous caller that you had on, yes, I did a lot of legal work in the background so I could I could fight for my son. But that's what parents have to do. But you have a family then with two, three, four children with autism. How on earth do they have the time to even deal with four children, let alone... Let, let alone, let alone em- empower themselves with knowledge to gain the services that would empower uh, mentally and physically their children. It, it must be impossible dealing in that situation. I would sooner have Michal Martin or Michael McGrath, Simon Coveney, Jerry Bottomer, come on your show, go out in public and say, guys, we're not funding anything. Because the stress that you endure as a parent fighting for what your child needs is incredible. And it does take a toll on your own health. But every one of us will do whatever we have to do for our children, regardless of their abilities. Very well presented, Ruth. Uh, it's from the heart, and I know it's with conviction. So thank you very much. Life is good in the UK, otherwise for you, for you guys? Life is pretty good. The sun is shining today, so that's not bad. Well, it's better, better than the but conditions here. It's windy and rainy here in Cork today. <laughs> and we don't have to fight anymore for Jamie. And by the way... If a parent has to fight over here, it goes to tribunal, and the tribunal is funded for the parents. Wow, okay. It's not, it's not funded for the, the government, it's funded for the parents. So, so, so the bias is always in, in a positive nature towards the child and towards provision of services where you are? It is, at the moment anyway. Yeah, it's not, and it's non-existent here, pretty much, is what we're hearing. But maybe I'll come back and go into government and change all that. I'd vote for you anyway, Ruth. Thanks a million. <laughs> Talk to you again. Thanks, Cheers. Bye bye. Let's take one more bye. caller on the topic. Thanks, Ruth. Christine Duff is on line six. Good morning, Christine. Good morning, Mick. How are you? Good. Now, you're the parent of a 12 year old boy who, at the age of four, was diagnosed with autism and PDA. That's pathological demand avoidance. Can you ex- explain that second uh, PDA thing to us? Yeah, so um, pathological demand avoidance, it's basically the anxiety driven need to always be in control. So it's like you have this overwhelming urge for things to always go the way you need them to go in order for you to feel safe, feel comfortable, just feel okay in your body. So when you have a little three or four year old trying to do that, it might display as like explosive meltdowns, really aggressive outbursts. Um, You know, you often hear fight or flight there described with autism. Mm -hmm. So they could take off, run away, do something extremely disgusting. destructive um, basically that is kind of the gist of it it's what would be similar to anxiety Okay so how was your interaction with the services available here in Ireland? Um, just to follow on with all the other callers I would say uh, shocking <laughs> so okay. ridiculous there's been no major support I do remember um, he was entitled to um, OT when he was younger. He did receive, I think it was five sessions through Marion House at the time. And I remember one OT assessment, they told me that he had uh, hypermobility, which was unknown to me, didn't know what it was. And then I went for a second OT assessment through my GP. And under that assessment, he was told he didn't have it. So... You can imagine the confusion then when you're told you, your child is one thing by one person and one thing by another person. 
So really, um, with my own personal experience, I suppose, Mick, I, not that I don't have time for the HSE, but I focus solely on what I can do, what I can do for my child, what I can do for me. And I would be very, very strong. Um, I'd be strongly kind of pushing, we say, alternative therapies. So we do a lot of alternative therapies like cranial sacral therapy, working with crystals. Now, I know that might, might sound very woo-hoo and hippie for people listening, but it's about finding what works for you. Mm-hmm. And if you if you feel failed by, by someone, like if you're feeling failed by the HSC or failed by a certain services, then just for people to know, there are alternative things available. You don't necessarily have to depend on the HSE. There are other options out there. You can do things like, you know, there's Reiki, there's reflexology. You don't have to be an older person or an adult to get those treatments or therapies either. There's so many different options. So that's my hope. really. And they're not necessarily too expensive either. No, not necessarily. And also one thing as well, which um, which was presented to me, which I found um, amazing and I didn't know about it, was your, um, I hope I'm saying this right now, but your local community welfare office i think it, it's that one they provide services depending on which area you're living in now but they provide services at a reduced rate because you will find therapists that will do maybe like six or seven week blocks of sessions at a very reduced rate but they're fully qualified fully accredited and you know they they might work full-time somewhere else but they provide this service in the area at a reduced rate for people that may be you know struggling in whatever way so there are so many alternative options out there so you've had eight years now since the diagnosis of uh, mm-hmm. autism and PDA. What's life been like? Um, it's it, There's been challenges along the way, um, I won't lie, but overall it's been really good. I mean, my thing is I want to really um, raise awareness on what pathological demand avoidance is. It's such, like, it's such a unique thing to even explain and what I love about your previous caller um, when she was mentioning about living in the UK and all the services and everything most of my information and most of my research on PDA came from me looking up stuff and the only known society is the PDA society in the UK we don't have a PDA society in Ireland but the more and more I speak about it the more and more people I kind of connect with a lot of them are in the UK but I was fortunate enough years ago to meet with one mom in Ireland when you know, when you first get a diagnosis, you're looking for answers everywhere. All you want is for the problem to be fixed. You want things to be okay and you want things to go away. But when you speak to real parents who are living with it, you get such a sense of reassurance. And when I spoke to that mom, her child was, I think, 16 at the time. So I was dealing with a four-year-old that was, that was having explosive meltdowns that I couldn't, you know, manage and cope with. And then I met this woman her ch- and her son and I thought, oh my God, he's so mellow. He's so relaxed. Like, is that even possible? So um, that to me was one of the most valuable resources that I've ever interacted with was a real person who's been living with it. So then finding the information on um, on the PDA Society in the UK, that helped. And then, you know, connecting with different sure. people on Instagram. Are, are, you saying, are, are you saying once the PDA is recognised then that, that, you know, that there are solutions that will and, and strategies that will lead to a more calm existence? Absolutely. That's exactly what I'm saying. Um I previously thought that there were certain things I wouldn't be able to do, like um, very very basic example, we went to a theme park recently and years ago that's something I would have imagined I wouldn't have been able to do. Um, with PGA it's very much based on the moment, day to day, minute by minute. So one minute hand dryers, hair dryers, people talking could absolutely irritate a person with PGA. They could explode, have a meltdown, run away, scream, roar, whatever. 
but the exact same situation could happen 12 hours or 24 hours later and there'd be no meltdown. So if you're a parent and you're constantly waiting on eggshells to wait for the personal PDA to explode or erupt, that's not good for your health. That's not good for anyone's health. So finding the strategies and the tools on how to deal with it, it's about making the person with PDA feel safe, but also feel that they're in control with their environment and their surroundings, even when they're not. A typical example would be... Um, well, my son was younger, trying to get a jacket on him in, when the weather was really bad, was very difficult. So if I said to him, put on your jacket or get your coat, that's me putting a demand on him. So he would not do it. It was absolutely no way, no how. Whereas if I reworded it and rephrased how I was speaking, if I said, made it about me, if I said, oh, I'm going to put on my coat, it's raining, I'm going to be really nice and warm now when I go out, it's going to feel great. And I was That's the outcome then that he would want for himself. Then the, yeah, then he'd put it on. So it's about retraining and rethinking how they think in order for the situation to go the way you want it to go but essentially they think that it's going the way they want it to go Mm -hmm. wow okay (laughs) yeah there's a lot of um, reverse psychology used in it but that again that's purely come from just different experiences and learning all, all the different things along the way yeah, but I mean, as a parent, a parent, you must do it. And uh, as you get more off fait with the with the procedure of the reverse psychology, uh, it probably comes naturally to you. Well, that's the thing; it comes so naturally that I've <laughs> I've been able to do it on people that I would assume. Now, this is terrible. I don't assume they have PGA, but if I feel that there is certain characteristics that I could say, "God, I I can see it in my child and that person there now," so I will use the reverse psychology. And honestly, Mick, it's. It's some life lesson to have when you master it. <laughs> Excellent. Listen, thanks very much for, for coming on so eloquently. And it's, my, it's first for me. PDA, uh, pathological demand avoidance. It's, it's, it, I suppose, is it in the same family as OCD? Uh, I, I, I see a result um, and I must get that result. Do you know what? Um, it's hard to say, but it's hard to say. Like, I will say, if, if you don't mind, Mick, I am doing a very small, intimate workshop on it in a couple of weeks' time. The tickets are available on Eventbrite, um, and I'll be going into extreme detail on what works, what doesn't work, how to speak to someone with PDA. But the, the core element of someone with PDA is they want to feel safe, they want to feel in control, and they just want to feel happy and content similar to anyone just, but it's more so it's the anxiety that they feel in their body okay. they can erupt in seconds and it's about having that calm cool balanced feeling How common or how rare is the incidence uh, say here in Cork how many people in Cork would have it? Would have PDA? Yes um, I, I, To be honest with you I wouldn't have a figure for you but from speaking to other parents you see this is where there's a grey area um, when we got our diagnosis years ago it was autism it was you, like you're told oh it's autism with this so they could say autism with PDA autism with Asperger's it was labelled and categorised quite differently mm-hmm. and there are a lot of um, uh, people doing assessments that don't recognise it and then in the UK as well they recognise it in some places they don't recognise it in others it's a very unique unusual um, label and it was first officially recognised in the 1980s by Elizabeth Newson that's the girl who brought it in so it's just it's it's a grey area. That's the only way to put it. How, how can people access tickets uh, if they want to go to your conference? Um, so it's available. They're only available on Eventbrite, or um, they can contact me on Instagram or else on Facebook with my uh, life coaching page. It's Anchor Your Awareness. All right, Christine Duff. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me on, Mick. Have a lovely day. Thanks. Cheers. Bye bye. It's twenty nine minutes past uh, ten. Uh, in a moment, we'll speak to singer, songwriter, and author. Declan O'Rourke. Get it off your chest.
Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106, Red FM. Good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. This is Mick Mulcahy in for Neil for the week. Serious four-car traffic accident at Victoria Cross. Please avoid the area to allow emergency services to uh, make access there. Now, I'm going to read a line from a very poignant song that we're going to play uh, in a few minutes' time. Uh, when the grey, unyielding hunger drew its veil across this land... Uh, that's a line from Poor Boy's Shoes by singer-songwriter Declan O'Rourke, who joins us on the line. Good morning, Declan. Good morning, Mick. How are you? Thanks I'm, I'm good. Um, we'll we get to the music because we can't interview without talking about the music, but we're here to talk about your literary debut. Uh, a fine tome indeed, heavy as it is. Very wordy, very prosy. And if I may say so, the, the book, The Pawnbroker's Reward, achieves something that no history book can achieve. And that tr- through... Through the microcosm of a small town and a couple of characters, a few characters, you, you really have painted the picture of the desolation and the enormity of the Irish famine. Well, thank you very, very much. Um, that's uh, something I could only dream of uh, hearing in response to it, Mick. Um, I, um, I've been passionate about the subject for a long time and ever since uh, around 20 years ago when I read the account, Padre O'Leary's account of the Abukla family from just outside McCroom and of course it led to a song which was uh, Poor Boy's Shoes and, and that, that in turn led to a whole collection of songs but um, even when, when I had finished that and thought Start, you know, 17 years afterwards when I released the records. The Chronicles um, of the Great of, Irish Famine. That's right, yeah. The, but the story of the Obukla still kind of affected me. It was, it was still so poignant. And a few things just kind of uh, synchronously kind of happened uh, in the year following the records release. Even though I thought I was kind of finished with the subject there and I thought I could put it to bed. But uh, and one of them was that I was brought to visit the remains of their, I suppose, Bohan would be the best word for it, a little kind of... Little Shabine of a house. Yeah, up on a desolate hill overlooking Cork, and it was just such a... I remember the owner of the land telling me that if you stood up there, the wind would skin you if you stood up there at night, you know, and I walked away with such kind of much more sensory information than I'd ever had access to before when I wrote the song, Mm. and I felt that... It kind of the story wasn't finished with me, if you like. Yeah, and, and to, your uh, involvement and your interest in in this huge and enormous Irish tragedy uh, spans back now some twenty years, I suppose, and is really intertwined with Cork, with between Skibbereen and McCroom. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Well, that's where that's ground zero for me in terms of that story and my introduction to it. You know, uh, because I mean, I, I never had. Uh, any particular, I mean, I don't think we learned much about it in school, so I didn't know much about the famine. We, we all know, okay, the famine happened and we're told 1846, 1847, that kind of thing. Um, I learned uh, around 1999 or 2000, I think, that my granddad was born in a workhouse. Now, he'd been dead for almost 20 years at that stage. We found it on his birth cert. And uh, all the family were intrigued. We kind of wanted, what the hell did that mean, you know? I didn't know it had anything to do with the famine. And um, I picked up a book a few months later called The Workhouses of Ireland and instantly kind of 
realised the connection. Uh, but on page one again was was the story of the Buckler family, and that just kind of completely pulled me into a whole other realm. And as a young writer looking for material to sink my teeth into, like as a, as a young songwriter, it was just uh, like hitting a gold vein in a way, you know, and very very moving. I just thought it was the most powerful thing I'd ever read. I still think so. Yeah, it's it's, like, a, uh, it's a probably as evocative as, <clears throat> as Grace and Joseph Mary Plunkett, uh, the, the fact that you're through this microcosm of, of this family. Uh, and, and we'll get to the song. And the song really represents Ireland before and after the famine, if, if, if you like, because there's normality, there's joy, there's love, uh, and then there's marriage and hopes for the future. And then comes the hunger, the desolation, uh, and the absolute clinging to life, and the, the most poignant image, which is in the song, uh, and is absolutely true as well, is that in the very final minutes uh, and hours of their lives, as, as he got her to that bohan, um, her feet were so cold that he drew them to his chest as if to warn them. Uh, and that's how they were found. Yeah, it's so, it's so poignant, isn't it? I thought that was, you know, it took me years to unravel you know, the mix of emotions I felt when I read that because it was obviously there's absolute tragedy in it. But, you know, I tried to understand and kind of kept going back to it and saying, and it was really that it was, there's beauty in it too. There's I beauty, mean, they, yeah. You know, they kind of, that that gesture, if you like that, it gives somebody the last warmth of your body as your last act is the greatest show of love you could imagine, and in spite of everything that has happened to them, it's it's actually a triumph over all that happened to them, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, and of course, the pawnbroker mm-hmm. is uh, Cornelius Creed, or as he'd be known in the crew, Cane. Uh, yeah. and, and, and through through Cornelius, of course, he, he's the portal by which you, you, you can visit those who are wretches and wretched, uh, and those who are a little more affluent, uh, and watching this unfold in front of them, really. And he's seeing all of this humanity come in and, and pawnbroke for food. He's an absolutely incredible... He was an absolutely incredible person, more, much more than just a character. He was a real person with this very conflicted kind of reality. Uh, he was middle-class Catholic, which we kind of, you know, are led to... Believe, you know, history becomes quite black and white and you just see one end and the other. But... It's it's more complex, you know. And discovering him and starting to read these little, he was actually writing to the to the newspaper, and he was corresponding on the board of guardians meeting. To the board of guardians, kind of ran the workhouse and decided who could come in and who couldn't, and they would interview paupers coming in. You had to sign over your land to get in, and uh, so he's overseeing all that and watching them interviewing people. He's also uh, on the relief committee, he's writing opinion pieces to the paper, which is incredible for the time. And um, he's, you know, because of the position he's in as the pawnbroker, which you know traditionally you would see as a scourge. But he's this quite conflicted character who cares for the poor. But mm-hmm. he's literally they're crossing his doorstep every day, so he's he's seeing all the layers above and below. And he was the kind of perfect person to to become our eyes and ears and as you said a small town i thought if you know after years and years reading book after book on this subject um and trying to understand it 
I think, you know, if you try to present it, Try to show somebody the vastness of the famine. It's just impossible. To, you cannot get your head around it. Nobody can. It's so vast. Yeah, whereas in, in the First World War, we had, you know, we had primitive enough footage, uh, which could be enhanced. In the Second World War, we had kind of colour footage in a way. Uh, in, yeah. in the Ethiopian famine, there was um, fantastic um, graphic pictures of starvation and death. And, you know, even up to today in the, in the Ukrainian conflict there's now social media and there's instant digital discourse all over the world but the famine we're, we're depending on charcoal drawings really and, and accounts and what, what you've done by taking yes. real characters and fleshing it out with your own meticulous research is, is create a story which kind of encapsulates the whole famine Oh, thank you so much well, will, uh, I, will I play the song, Declan, because... Do play the song, yeah. Because to me, the book and the song kind of have the same ideal. You're, you're looking at all of those things I mentioned, from joy and normality to, to poverty and death. And if you haven't heard this song, I would beseech you to inject a bit of volume. Listen to the words uh, of Poor Boy's Shoes from Declan O'Rourke. We'll speak to Declan again in a couple of moments' time. <laughs> flowers in her hair There was no girl in this land who could have stood next to her there And there everyone could see How he loved her instantly Though he had nothing to give her but his poor boy's hopes and dreams Well he danced with her that summer till it showed on her sweet face as she was taken by the warmth of him and all his gentle ways and then he swore to her his love was true and he married her in poor boy's had passed through the grip of his strong hands when a great unyielding hunger drew its veil across this land. His young love soon took ill and with two little mouths to fill he took all he could to keep them from the poor house on the hill. But when his pockets had run dry from crying tears that rang like bells and their home drew in the wind just like an old seashell Then he gathered everything he had to lose He walked them up in poor boys Girl. And soon their little souls were free From all the sadness in this world Their father lifted up his love She could no longer walk alone 
From the poor house on the hill He took a run The long walk home And there he felt the cold upon her As he laid her down to rest And so he knelt down by her bed And drew her feet up to his chest And there he tried to warm her cold feet through And they found him there in That's Declan O'Rourke and Poor Boy Shoes, and I'll cut it there, Declan, in favour of talking to you a little more. Uh, the prose in the book uh, is something I think you'll only find from a musician. I'm, I'm looking at some of the... Uh, every sinew and fibre of his body burned from the ground up. Each step was now a gargantuan effort. The cold and damp air of the night blowing infrequently was the only balm to the fire in his skin, exhausted, his mind teetering on the edge of consciousness, heart bursting under the strain each part of him had pushed the limits of endurance and might give way at any moment. A raging fever was consuming him. The story of Podrick Ubukala carrying his uh, young wife home to die. It's a masterpiece and um, uh, the book is amazing. It's, uh, it's, it's a heavy read. Can I say that? Um, I, I looked for it in a number of bookstores in Cork uh, over the last week and, and failed. A number of the flagship bookstores uh, eventually got a copy. But maybe that's a good thing. Maybe people are buying it out off the shelves, Declan, are they? It's good news, yeah. I mean, it's, I think we've uh, they, they, they made an initial print of the hardback, and I think uh, it's running low in numbers now. So they'll probably move it to paperback soon. But um, it's always good to know when, where, and when it's not available too, so we can uh, bring it to the attention of the distributors and the publishers. Okay, it's the Pawnbrokers Award by Declan Rook. If we can move on to music just for a moment, uh, Declan. And uh, I'm not blowing smoke here, as they say, because I said it on social media directly after the gig, having failed to get tickets for uh, St. Luke's, your uh, concert there about two years ago before Christmas. We travelled up to Limerick to uh, Dolan's Warehouse, where the the show you gave, uh, showcasing some of the songs from the Arrivals album, I would have to put in my top three of all time. It was impeccable. Well, <laughs> thanks very much. And as a singer-songwriter, of course, you've been you've been graced with the with the classic uh, Galileo. Uh, there's a rumor Bob Dylan said he wished he wrote that song, or was that Paul Weller? Paul Weller, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe Bob too. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't heard that one. <laughs> how's, how's life with you, Declan? Arrivals is going well. You're living in uh, under the stars of Kinvara, and um, uh, you're, you're you're a dad of young children now. Crash going age, I think, are they? Yeah, play school. I'll be a little four-year-old. I have a fifteen-year-old boy as well, just about to turn sixteen. But uh, yeah, I'm blessed indeed. Um, and um, just life is life is good. Uh, I suppose, despite all we've been going through, it was a lockdown was a nice time to to be uh, in the nest. Yeah, would the book you know, have happened the without the pandemic? Well, I had started it in 2018, so it was it was well on the way, but. 
thrust of it happened during lockdown. That gave mm-hmm. me the the break I needed to to get a run at it, if you like, you know. Yeah, and uh, you've just finished an Irish tour, of course. I think you've one more gig in the UK. What what are your future plans for Ireland? Be something before Christmas? Not much, actually. No, um, I think uh, I think next year I'll be touring again. There might be a couple of little things popping up, but mostly, I mean, I have a few book events around the country over the summer. I'm in uh, Hinterland and Kells and I have Wexford Literary Festival and a few things, something, John, St. John's Theatre in Listowel in August and various things like that. Um, they're all book, book related. But um, I started a new book not so long ago as well. So I'm on, I'm on, I have the bug, certainly. Oh, there's another book coming out. Great. Yeah, yeah. All right, Declan, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have also once contended, by the way, at the risk of uh, upsetting the, uh, the Lou Kelly purists, that you might be the voice to carry Patrick Cavan as Raglan Road to a new generation. What would you think? Oh, thank you very, very much. I mean, that's, uh, that's you know, I don't know what to say to that, but I, I love singing the song uh, and uh, singing it with John Sheehan. Yeah, I, yeah, we can direct people to that yeah. YouTube, actually. Yeah. You sang it with John Sheehan and Glenn Hansard, wasn't it? Uh, That's right. There's a good, good recording of us doing it, uh, uh, Glenn and I doing it as a duet on uh, John's 80th birthday in Vicker Street. And it's, good, it's got quite a few hits on, on YouTube, that video, yeah. All right. Uh, Declan, pleasure to talk to you finally Thank on radio. You for the and lovely compliment, Nick, and um, lovely to talk to you too. Thanks a million. And uh, best of luck with the continued songwriting, at which you're brilliant, and at the, uh, the book writing, at which you're becoming a dab hand. Declan Roark, thank you very much and good morning. Gentlemen, thank Cheers, you. Cheers, thanks. Bye bye. Now, staying on the musical field, we're going to talk to Claire Hayden on line two. Good morning, Claire. Hello, Claire. Hi, Mick. How are you doing? I'm very good. You've got a big evening tonight, haven't you? I do, I do. I'm really, really looking forward to it now. I can't wait. You're singing with Imelda May. Yeah, so it'll be it'll be an experience. It'll be really great just to get up there and, and, um, and yeah, can't wait. And it's not just at the Opera House, of course. You're going to be doing Vicar Street. Uh, on Saturday as well. Vicar Street on Saturday, so uh, two two big evenings ahead, but Cork is going to be very special, so really, really looking forward to no it. No pressure now on Vicar Street, but do you know what Ed Sheeran called it? No. The greatest venue in the world. Oh, God, now the pressure's on. Although I'd say Cork could top it, as always. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> Vicar Street is just so intimate. I saw Art Garfunkel there once. Uh, it's just it's just the most special place. Uh, but tonight in the Opera House with Imelda May is going to be a big one. Now, you were on with Neil uh, a couple of years ago and last year as well. Uh, you've had your own uh, journey uh, over the years with breast cancer. I did. Um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer in the end of 2020. Um, and Touchwood, all is going well. Finished all the treatment and everything that comes with that. Um and sure, look, it's a, it's gone 360 now, um, and I'm, you know, getting to do something I've been looking forward to, you know, wanting to do my whole life, singing in, in, um, singing in the opera house with someone like Imelda May is just amazing, and to kind of go, I suppose, from where everything has been the last few years to this, just makes it all the more special. It's just, that's a serious roller coaster because uh, you know, there, there's serious lows and highs there, if I may say so. God, yeah, it really has. I suppose that is that's definitely the word. It's been, it has been a roller coaster, um, but you know, I suppose it's it's it was just a real such a lovely way for for all this to to come to the other side now, um, and be going up singing there this evening. Just to, yeah, makes makes all the last few years you know worth it because you always there's always like a silver lining at the end. So it's great. Yeah, and is is it supporting Imelda Mayer singing with? 
singing with. So she has her sport acts and I'm I'm a guest and she's just an unbelievable woman. Um you know, to actually just take the time to invite somebody up like that and, and give them the opportunity to sing with her uh, is something I'll remember forever. Um, and she just has a huge heart um, and it's just such an honour. It really, really is. Okay. Uh, and what sort of stuff are you going to be singing? Um, I'm actually singing um, Imelda's title track, Made to Love, uh, with her uh, ba- uh, backing on that song. So... Yeah, um, it's, as I said, like, just so, so excited and it'll be something off the bucket list um, and to be able to do it in Cork, like, is just, it's, it's yeah, it'll be amazing. All right. So I hope everyone, everyone that's there now, I'm sure they're going to have um, a fantastic night and, uh, yeah, counting down the hours, cannot wait. And how's the treatment going? Well, I'm I'm fully in uh, remission now, thank God. Um, I I did uh, I finished chemo and everything last year, so everything's on the climb. Uh, it was a tough climb at times, but you just yeah you look forward to to days like this, to feeling good, and um, yeah, so much brighter days ahead, thank God. Brilliant stuff, Claire. Music always been the calling, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I work uh, in primary schools um, the last. Um, 14 years I'm working in a school called Camola, lovely little school, so hi to everyone there. Um, and, but I've always, music has always been, um, I suppose, my, my love really. Um, and I think when I had been diagnosed, I just started doing it maybe a little bit more, putting it up on my Facebook and Instagram page, kind of singing my way through it, I suppose. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's you know it's just from that really um, that a lot of the interactions came with Imelda, um, and she was just so um, encouraging. Um, so so yeah, singing has always probably been the the thing I go to. Brilliant stuff, and it's happening tonight. And of course, if you're in Dublin on Saturday night, Vicar Street is for the Imelda May concert. So you're on as a guest to sing the title track of Imelda's uh, latest album, Made to Love. That's it. So uh, hopefully the audience now will give a big whoop whoop after, <laughs> after that's done. But uh, there should be an amazing atmosphere there anyway. And I can't wait actually just to seeing Imelda perform because I'd say the last few years for for everybody that had to, to hold, you know, there was no, no concerts, nothing happening. So I'm sure the atmosphere there will be electric. Um, and uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be super. You have a powerful speaking voice, Claire. I imagine you might have an amazing set of pipes. I wouldn't mind seeing that myself now. I'd say you can build oh, yeah. them out. <laughs> oh, thanks so much. Yeah, I, I was never too quiet, I'd say. Um, <laughs> from, from the day I was born, chatting or singing one or the other. Um, so, yeah, hopefully now it'll be well received this evening. All right. Thanks, um, Claire. So, and thank you so much to everyone there. And um, we'll hopefully be chatting to you again soon. Thanks a million. Cheers. Bye bye. Claire Hayden. Claire Hayden on tonight in the Opera House stage with Amelda May. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Six minutes to 11, a letter to the program. Hello, this is a letter of apology and regret over a misunderstanding. A girl in Cork deserves to hear this. Please let me tell her the story. I'll be as brief as possible. I was out with friends on Good Friday night. We went to a gig upstairs in Anspalpin Fonach. I got talking to a girl called... Jasmine, or maybe Yasmin. She chatted with some of my friends, a mix of men and women, and everything seemed to be okay in the world. Jasmine looked like she was comfortable in our company, and there was laughter and a nice atmosphere. We even discussed the tattoo on her arm. It was a very safe, friendly environment. I was going to the bar, so I asked Jasmine if she'd like a drink. She said yes. When I came back with drinks for the group and for Jasmine, I said to her, just because I bought you a drink, it doesn't mean you have to stick around. I meant it purely to put her at ease. 
so that she didn't feel under any obligation to stay talking with us after I'd bought her a drink. This was the misunderstanding. Yasmin or Jasmine looked a bit surprised I'd said this. I repeated it, smiling, trying to get across the message. It was all right if she wanted to leave. The last thing I wanted to do was for her to remain somewhere she didn't want to be. I was just trying to be nice. Yasmin looked genuinely shocked I had said it. Uh, She was obviously interpreting it as me saying, you've got your drink, now you can go, which was actually the polar opposite of what I meant. Yasmin, or Jasmine, looked upset and she took the drink and her coat and left. I misread the situation and I didn't want to make a bad scenario worse by going after her and maybe failing to get my intentions across. Does this make sense? Basically, Jasmine from Unspalpine Faunuk deserves an unconditional apology and uh, a complete misunderstanding of the phrase just because I bought you a drink. It doesn't mean you have to stick around caused upset and made someone feel unwelcome and that her company was unwanted when as a matter of fact the exact opposite was intended it was a misunderstanding and 100% my fault I am sincerely sorry Jasmine and I hope you get to hear this heartfelt apology so two things can happen now the letter continues this letter isn't read out and Jasmine continues to feel like she was unwelcome in our company on Good Friday night or this letter is read out and I'm happy to do it and Jasmine hears it or somebody mentions it to her and it makes up in some small way for the upset caused by the misunderstanding. Obviously, I'd love if the, let- if the latter happened and that some kindness was returned to the world. So please, please make read out this letter and let the fates decide after that. Meanwhile, I'll never use an ambiguous phrase like just because I bought you a drink, it doesn't mean you have to stick around again. And uh, sincere apologies, Jasmine, once again. And I wish you the very best of luck. Kind regards says, A, I don't have a name, but we do have a number. uh, And we've checked that it's true. And uh, this person, A, when we check, says, I haven't slept in a week worrying that I made someone feel in any way bad about themselves. So if you know Jasmine, who was out on Good Friday night and in on Spalpine Faunuk, and perhaps she might want to get in touch with A, uh, then please contact the program on 0818104106 by phone or by text or WhatsApp on 086-8104-106. It is now coming up on 2 minutes to 11 o'clock. News at 11 next. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. 104 to 106. Red FM. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Now, we have a statement I meant to get to in the last hour, but just didn't, and I want to uh, kick off this hour with it. Uh, and this is uh, regarding St. Patrick's Key. So St. Patrick's Key uh, reads the statement is currently being upgraded as part of the McCurtain Street Public Transport Improvement Scheme. The scheme will deliver shorter bus journey times for all bus passengers in Cork City due to an increased network of dedicated bus lanes and bus priority. The current coach parking area on St. Patrick's Quay is being vacated to enable construction of the improvement works. New coach facilities are now being developed within a few minutes walk of the existing location to provide dedicated coach parking facilities at the following locations. St. Patrick's Quay east of Mary Elms Bridge. Uh, That will be for Cork Connects, Cove Connects, Cronin's Coaches and BGM BGM Coaches. So if we gave the impression that... uh, Everything was finished in Patrick's Key. That's not the case. Because St. Patrick's Key, uh, east of Mary Elms Bridge, says the statement will still remain for Cork Connects, Cove Connects, Cronin's Coaches and BGM Coaches. Uh, Lower Glanmire Road, McCurtain Street, opposite Moody Cafe, is where you'll go for Air Coach and Go Bus. So the Lower Glanmire Road stroke McCurtain Street, opposite Moody Cafe, for Air Coach and Go Bus. And thirdly, Anderson's Key, 
to the east of the bus station will be the venue for West Cork Connects and Dublin Coach. Uh, West Cork Connects Dublin Coach at Anderson's Quay to the east of the bus station. Uh, the statement continues. There is insufficient space available on St. Patrick's Quay to accommodate the current growing demand for coach parking facilities, as well as the development for much of much-needed facilities for coach passengers and facilities for other road users. New passenger facilities are being developed at each new location. Seating, weather-covered stands, passenger information, lighting, etc. And set-down parking facilities will be available in all areas. Coach operators wish to have a single end stops for all their services is being met under the new arrangements and all coach operators can continue to seek use of the existing and new bus air and bus stops across the city. CityLink, Kilmallock Coaches and Paddy Wagon will be availing of the existing bus stop on McCurtain Street. A public information programme including temporary advance notice, uh, signage, will be rolled out in advance of the changes so that intending passengers are fully aware of the new locations. Clear maps showing the new bus stops will be displayed on St. Patrick's Quay and will also be available to view on www.corkcity.ie and www.transportforcorkcity.ie. Once again, those uh, websites are www.corkcity.ie and www.transportforcorkcity.ie. All intending passengers should consult their service provider for up-to-date information. It is anticipated that the works on Patrick's Key will be completed by late summer and include the provision of new, wider footpaths, two-way segregated cycle facilities, reorganised space for disabled parking, loading bays and set-down spaces, and reduced and upgraded coach parking. So that's uh, the statement which we're happy to read on St. Patrick's Key currently being upgraded as part of the McCurtain Street Public Transport Improvement Scheme. The scheme will, or intends to, deliver shorter bus journey times for all bus passengers in Cork City due to an increased network of dedicated bus lanes and bus priority. And uh, by text we have Mick Clare is just an amazing person and such a talented singer. Uh, she deserves this platform. Uh, would you please wish Claire Hayden all the best uh, in the Opera House? Uh, and that is from Mark Bryan. And to line two we go now. And to Lisa. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning. How are you? You're heading over to the Shroud, are you? You're heading to Turin. Are we are, I am indeed. I am indeed, yes. You're heading to Turin for what reason? What's on? Eurovision. It's May. Course. It's Eurovision time. Absolutely. Okay, so what's the problem? What's happening? The problem is, is that basically I ordered stuff, um, clothing to bring with me, you know, to a lot of stuff in orange, to be honest, because, you know, I want to celebrate and represent. And it still hasn't arrived. And I've been trying for the last, it sort of arrived on the 28th of April. And it's in Cork, in a depot, in Fastway Couriers. And I've been trying my hardest to get in contact with them. And none of the contact numbers work. I've tweeted them. I've messaged them on Facebook. I've emailed them twice. And all I keep getting back is we'll be back in contact with you. And I like I go down to the depot, but I work Monday to Friday and Saturdays they don't open. And I just want to physically speak to somebody and all the contact numbers they have either are disconnected or they just tell you to go on to the online support. Okay. So I don't know what to do. Okay, so we're, um, we're pleading with Fastway to get in touch and to find this particular package. Will they know you by name? Will they know that uh, this is somewhere in... In their facility? Well, it's, it's, well, basically, according to their online tracking, it's in the court depot and it has changed for next day delivery from the 28th of April every single day. Okay. Up until the 6th. I think it might be lost. So, 
I'm hoping not. <laughs> How important is it, is it to you? Well, I mean, I, I bought these specifically to go to Turin. Like, I mean, come on, we, through COVID, none of us have been anywhere. And this is the first trip I've taken since the COVID thing started. And we've been planning to go to Eurovision. I've been there once before in Copenhagen. We've been planning this for years. And it's like, we're so excited. We have our tickets. We're going to, we're going, we're going to the semi-final. We're so excited about it. It's just like, it was just the icing on the cake for our trip because we've planned it so long, you know? Yeah. Okay, what's the fascination though? Because Eurovision is sort of like Marmite. It's it's either all yes or all no. I can't stand it. Oh my God, it's like the most amazing party and, and actually show that you'll ever be to in your whole entire life. And everyone's just there to appreciate the music and everyone's friendly and happy and it's just an amazing atmosphere. And yes, some of the songs desire some taste, but I mean... How charitable of you, how charitable. <laughs> but it's just fun. It's just fun. Now, you were at the Eurovision in Copenhagen in uh, 2014. Yes. Uh, yes. When, who won for what country? Conchita Wurst from Belgium. From, uh, won for Austria. Sorry, Austria. Sorry, Austria. Austria, okay. Yes. Was that a good song? Oh, my God. She was amazing. All right, let's Very have a little clip, will we? That song screams Eurovision to me anyway. Oh, I mean, I mean, what you saw, like, you know, watching through the TV was nothing what it was like experiencing life. Like, it, she was just outstanding. Okay, is it costing you a fortune to go over there? Um, actually, not really. We got our, we're flying from Cork direct to Milan and um, we're getting the train down, down to the Turin. And the tickets started from 50 euro and they went up to 250 for the semi-finals but then up to 350 for the final. And were they available but, readily for the final? Um, so, not going to lie, it was a little bit difficult. It was an Italian side and I don't think they were I, understanding the amount of people and interest. So when they first put the tickets on sale, they only put 23,000 tickets on sale first and they held out 40,000 and then they put them on sale. So it was a little bit, I think the site got a bit overwhelmed. Um. But yeah, like we managed it, so it's all good. But there's also, what they do is like, you know, because it is, people don't understand, a lot of people really do like Eurovision. They do a Eurovision village as well, where there'll be big screens and you can go down there and just watch it and you don't have to physically go to the actual venue if you don't want to. Okay, well, one, of, one of the countries, uh, you know, which uh, Eurovision is loved and deeply ingrained is Ukraine. Uh, have yeah. Ukraine an entry this year? Oh, they do, most definitely. Absolutely, yeah. 100%. They're, like, according to all the bookies and everything online, they're definitely, they're going to qualify anyway. And they'll, I'd say, if they're not in the top five, they should be. Well, do you think they'll win? I'm not sure, because there's a lot of other really, really good songs, but I definitely think they'll be in the top five. Okay. And you're heading over, uh, with or without what you've ordered, of course, but you, uh, once again, want to make a plea to Fastway, because you can't get yeah. through to them. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Just please, I mean, I could physically speak to someone and just, even if they tell me yes or no, that would be, you know, at least I knew where I stood. All right. So fast way, want to get in touch with us, we'll put them in touch with you. Uh, and if not, maybe they can find your package and expedite it to you as quick as possible. Our phone number is 0818104106. Or they can even text us on 0868104106. Uh, okay. Conchita Worst, possibly the worst Eurovision song I've ever heard. 
and I know you love it. But that's Eurovision, isn't it? Oh my god! <laughs> no, no, that that, he- exactly. that heavy metal one we played during the week is possibly the worst. Uh, no. <laughs> there's, there's been a few others, but you know we've won it the um, most. Will we ever win it again? I, I, do you know what? I think we have a chance to qualify this year. Like she's, a, she's a, according to all reports on the websites online and everything, she's been doing really well through rehearsals, and like I like the way they've restyled it now. And she's a really, really good personality. So I think hopefully we have a really good chance to qualify. Hmm. Isn't that kind of winning for Ireland now? Just getting into the round two. Um, for the past couple of years, yes. I, I mean, there was a few years back I thought we actually should have definitely. But um, yeah, but here's hoping. Okay. We will definitely get there again. All right. So we're beseeching Fastway to come to your aid and get those uh, clothes you ordered to make, really put the icing on the cake and uh, make the occasion exactly. for you. So uh, exactly. they're welcome to get in touch with us and we'll put them in touch with you and see if we can get a resolution for your delivery. All right. Thanks. All right. Thank you so much. Cheers, Lisa. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. The bus issue continues to be a hot topic. Rebecca, good morning. Hi, Mick. Good morning. Hi. Now, on last week, you took the Go bus to Dublin. Um, yeah, well, actually, last week, well, it's it's, uh, it's a bit far gone now. The, so it was uh, last Tuesday week, actually, the week oh, yeah. before the 26th. 26th. Um, yeah, I took the, took the Go bus to Dublin. I go up and down kind of once or twice a month um, as I'm, I'm studying studying animation, um, blended, a blended online course. So I go up on campus now and then. Um, but so this particular day, um, after a long day, I got back on the, on the go bus at 6.30 in, uh, in Dublin. And, uh, <laughs> um, so this is where the story started. I, um, uh, as I sat into my seat on the bus, I noticed across the aisle for me, there was, um, uh, an, a fella in a high-vis jacket in his 20s. Um, and, uh, well, that was that. Except that as we were pulling out of uh, Dublin, I kind of felt that he was trying to catch my attention um, and, uh, yeah, even had a, a moment where, you know, you lock eyes with a stranger and you kind of, like, oh, get... Um, Flutters. Uh, <laughs> flustered, exactly. Look the other way. So I spent most of uh, most this journey looking out the, the window um, the other way. Um, but anyhow, as we were pulling into Cork, he uh, dropped his key in the aisle and somebody ran up from the back to give to him and he started talking to me um, about his key, about this and that, why he was gone up to Dublin that day, etc., etc. Um, so, um, I don't know, he was, he was really lovely. He was very, very nice, smiley. And, um, and uh <laughs> Yeah, I kind of felt that he was, I don't know, trying to trying to get my attention. Even when we got off the bus, he was asking, um, what was I doing then? Like, was I going straight to my, my train or the bus? But anyhow, I went off. I was, I was very tired, very hungry. And I, I went off to my, to my bus home and I left him there with nothing, no information, nothing. And then you started um, thinking about him. Then, exactly, yeah. I thought, uh, even as I was going away, I thought, you know, he was really nice. I should should go back and give him my my number or something. Um, but I didn't do it, and that was the, the crucial point. Um, so most people would have left it there, <laughs> except I started thinking. I was thinking, do you know what? Every time I book the bus, I have to put in my, my name and my email and my this and that. So thinking, if I, if I were to lose something on the bus, I reckon they could probably contact me. So 
last week, during the week, I went, I was back in town and I went into the, the go bus office after the long weekend. And uh, I went in and I explained to the guy the situation. I said, right, I want to, I want to fix this. So um, I gave a description and uh, I, I left in uh, a little note with a doodle of myself, my big yellow cardi and your man in his big yellow high-vis jacket, uh, which was an invitation to coffee, basically, with my name and number on the back. I have and it. And I said, um, sorry? I have it in front of me. You have it. Very nice. Office, You're asking yeah. for coffee. You're both in high-vis. Yeah. Um, but of course, yeah. there's there's GDPR rules in play here. The, the company can't exactly, contact him on your exactly. behalf. So I wasn't asking for any I do know about GDPR and all that, but I thought if I can give them the description, maybe they can narrow it down in the database and pass the message along, um, which um, they were... They really, they did want to, I think they were quite entertained um, and they did want to help, but because I didn't have his name, they couldn't narrow it down and so they couldn't kind of pass the message along. Yeah. So that, that would have been that, <laughs> except that I went and told my friends what I'd done over the weekend. I was like, lads, you'll never believe what I did. Um, and they, they got all invested. They were asking me uh, about him, what did he look like, this and that. I mean, there's people now staring down builders across Cork City. So now, now this mystery man is suddenly taking on Brad Pitt proportions, is he? Exactly. It's this thing, yeah, it kind of gained legs. So he decided, well, he was he was going up to Dublin because um, he got a call that morning um, from his mechanic. I'd say the mechanic was probably a buddy or friend um, to say his car had to come in that day. You know, there was nowhere else he could fit in, so he had to bring bring the car in that day, and that's why he was going up on the on the bus. He needed Unlikely. to collect paperwork. Unlikely. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, if uh, you're, you're you had all the time in the world to talk to him, but you kept looking out the window. Now you want us to find him, is it? Um, yeah, basically. So, well, you know, I went to, I went to all this effort to try and fix the, the situation, you know, um, and try and get him this message, uh, which didn't work out. And, um, it, it would be nice. It would be nice if he was able to get the message. Okay. Mystery on. man. Hi, Viz. 26th of April in, on the go bus yeah. from Dublin, 6.30 PM, all the way down to Cork. Yeah, he went up, he told me, he told me he went up at 11.30 and he came back down at 6.30 because his car was in the garage and he was going to collect paperwork. Oh, I, um, I, thought, I thought that was just a made-up story. No, no, that's what, that's what he said. I, I had no reason to disbelieve him. I don't know. Okay. Uh, that that um, might narrow it down then a little bit. But look, we'll, uh, we'll put it out there and uh, if anyone wants to contact us on social media, if you know that mystery man who was on that bus, um, there could be a romantic interlude here. Could there? <laughs> All right. Yeah. 0818 uh, It's a long shot, Rebecca. It's a long yeah, shot. But somebody <laughs> might know somebody. Uh, it, it's uh, it's tomorrow, two weeks ago, uh, on the go bus, oh, God, up at yeah. 11, down at half six, in a high-vis jacket, getting a car fixed in Dublin, something like that. The lady that you were looking at uh, would now, in hindsight, like to speak to you again. We'll see what happens. We do our best for All love right. on this program. <laughs> Thanks, Rebecca. Thanks, Mike. Cheers. Bye Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. It's coming up on 24 minutes after 11. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. Good morning, 25 past 11. This is Mick Mulcahy. Noel, good morning to you, Noel. Good morning, Peter. How are you? Not too bad. It's Mick. Can you hear me? It's Mick. Yeah. Can, oh, can you hear me, Mick? I can, of course. 
Okay. All right. Um, do, you mind, do you mind if I read your letter? That's proper. You just do what you need to do, please. Okay. Okay. Uh, dear Mr. Prandeville, I am a 55-year-old man. Two years ago, my relationship broke down after 25 years. I kept working jobs to stay afloat. I couldn't acquire proper accommodation. I ended up homeless, but stayed working. As time went on, my physical health and mental health deteriorated bit by bit, and I got a serious breakdown. At this time, my ankles are severely swollen, weight loss and other ailments that have affected me severely. I went to different facilities like the uh, APS homeless unit uh, to see what they could do there. The only answer I was given was Simon Community. Now, I have nothing against the Simon Community, but it's not a good environment for me, uh, as I have all my own issues to deal with, as I outlined to you in my letter. I've no alcohol or drug issues, which I know is irrelevant, but I'm just stating this. I've contemplated suicide four times already. As my back is to the wall with no way out, uh, I've tried to avail of accommodation without any luck. I had to leave my place of work due to physical exhaustion, weight loss and my mental health. As I had nowhere to sleep, finishing work and wandering the streets and sleeping rough made my life a living hell and you could, uh, and I could not cope anywhere. Could you please consider my letter? I'll be going on hunger strike outside City Hall and will be without water as well. Could you please help to bring this to the attention of the proper authorities through your show? As I outline, my health has deteriorated mentally and physically, and by doing this hunger strike, I will have serious consequences for me. I've done everything in my power to escape this nightmare. This is my final stand. Uh, as I know, uh, I've no more to give. Uh, I know you understand, and thank you for your time. Kind regards, Noel. That's a very heavy letter, Noel. Well, as I stated everything there, like this has been going on 16 months and I've tried to approach the proper authorities to no avail and as I said, my back is to a while and I have no more to give it. In regards to that, I don't know what to say or who to turn to or where to go, you know. I just don't really know. I'm just happy with them. Like, I know there's people in similar circumstances to me and I understand, but they have their issues. I am mine and this is about me at this time because I'm the one in this predicament. Mm-hmm. I've tried to get myself out of it. So many times I've turned to family, friends, and unfortunately, me. We're all people that are in their 50s. Some of them, as I found, are going into the 60s. And unfortunately, at this time, they're not there with the power to help me in any way. But when I, t- when I turned to the proper authorities to help me, I was given a kick in the ass and told go to go. Like, what what, what do you need? Remember. A bed set? Just a roof over your I head? Somewhere warm at night? You're living on the streets now, now, are you? I am, yeah. I am. Yeah. I turned to friends, yeah, technically, but I can't be invading their privacy on a constant basis. It's not fair on them. It's not fair on their family. You know? They have their own lives to get on with. I've done this like for 16 months going here and going there. As I stated in the letter. I'm on my last leg. Like, I just have to be with them when I don't have enough. Like. Mm-hmm. And you, I'm you, just looking to be treated. I'm sorry, go on. No, you, you, you say in the letter you have your own issues to deal with but that you're drug and alcohol free. Is that is that correct? I am. I, but I, 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 like, I'm alcohol free 20 years. I never had drug issues in my life. Like. I never, never had like that's not, that's not the point of it. Like, as I said, that was the, as I said in the letter, like, mm-hmm. that's irrelevant in this matter, right? Like. Is, is, is the central issue here that your relationship broke down two years ago? Well, it broke down just like, like every other relationship. It just, it just it wasn't working anymore. And it was my time to go, like, mm-hmm. because I couldn't deal with the current situation, the, the, the pressure I was under, like, in the relationship. As time went on, it was just escalating and getting worse. And I felt it was in the best interest for me, for my daughter, for my son, not to be seeing this or not to be doing so. I'd done the right thing, as any man would do. I decided to walk away. I love my family. I always will love them. But there's a time in your life. You just need to do what's best for you psychologically. And unfortunately, I just got the bad end of the psychological side of it. Mm-hmm. I 
just I thought I thought I could deal with my daughter, my partner, my son. Whereas time went on, had a severe effect on me psychologically, and I just I just broke down. Right? Mm-hmm. I just I just couldn't deal with it anymore. I'm just I'm just the same as any man out there. I'm not a man. I miss my family. I love him. I always love him. But unfortunately, that's the way the cows fell for me. So you, 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 went, you ended up homeless by trying to do the right thing for your family, yeah. feeling that you might have been yeah. uh, a little toxic in their presence or maybe not hel- in their presence or not helping by being around. Well, I, well, I couldn't have phrased it better than you just outlined there. So it's toxic. That's what, I, that's what I became. And I thought I was unfair to my son. I thought I was unfair to my daughter to, to me to offer all of us as a unit to live in an environment like that. So I thought I'd do the right thing mm-hmm. and walk away from it. But unfortunately, as time went on, I thought I could find a place and I tried. I travelled to Northern Ireland. I travelled to Ennis and County Clare. I travelled to Mitchellstown, Inchigila, Macroom. I didn't want to go to these places, but unfortunately, that's all was available. And I tried from unfortunately, there's so many people out there on the, on the waiting list. There's so many people trying to get accommodation. It's just not there. Like. It's not that I didn't try. I did really try to get it. Right, okay. And, and, I, and I, when, when you went to all these places, you, you went to the relevant authorities to, to apply, did you? Yeah, I was linked in with a. Um, person in, in the city hall. I linked them with her and any time I went to view a place, I always contacted her to see was there the hat at the time. Would they allocate me in that in that jurisdiction because I thought the county and the, the city boundaries were total different entities. So I decided like to just to contact her to get an update on where I go to get hat process because I was in an work at the time. I was working all various jobs like the COH. I worked in Cork Community Hospital, I worked in medical centres, I worked in pharmaceuticals. I walked in uh, Tapa, all different places, uh, anywhere the work was. And this is during the pandemic, like, mm-hmm. on the lockdown. So I was I was up on the front line as well, in, in a purpose, like, you know what I mean? I was on the front line, the same as everybody else. And uh, looking to be appreciated for that rod, this is about my current situation, being homeless and that, like. All That's right. what I'm trying to get. Are, are you able to work, Noel? I'm not at the moment. I got a, I got a bad break. I was working in Smurfett Tapa last year, and I got a severe, severe break, on it. I okay. had a mental breakdown and I just couldn't deal anymore. I just had to walk away from the job. Okay. I couldn't just deal, I couldn't deal anymore. I lost, I don't take it to the and wait. And that was true, just as was physical exhaustion, malnutrition. All this, there's a variety of all different things about it. I'm not a medical doctor, so I can't actually outline what the medical side of things are like. I can only tell you what I feel myself inside, like, not physically, like, I hot, like, my ankles are swollen. They found a growth from my leg a number of weeks back. Which unfortunately, I thought it was a ligament, so I had to go through the, the weeks of waiting, and, mm-hmm. uh, and I got a good result. Like, it was actually only a lump in my leg, like, and I was just glad to help it. the time they took the biopsy and the time I had to wait to process that. Okay. Oh, they, 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 are, they all have severe consequences on your psychological profile. Like. Yeah, sure. Oh, know, you, 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 seem, you seem to be in a very precarious place physically and mentally now, but what, what would lead what you to go on a hunger strike? Just, just, just to secure a roof over your head? Like, uh, like, I just think it's a national scandal, to be quite honest, that a person of my age, not just me, but other, just other individuals have to take similar similar things to get to what they need for their family members or whatever it was. They take their case where they think the best place is to take it. But as I said, we left, when your back is to the wall and you have no more to get, what are you supposed to do? You tried everything to avail accommodation. You tried to hold on a job when you go through this mental blackout in your head. What can you do, like? We're, we're only human, like. We're not, we're not machines, like. There's only certain, you know, a certain amount your body can take, and it will, it will, it will, go, it will break, like. It'll break it psychologically, it will break it physically. As I say, we're, we're only human, like. We're not machines. And if you got accommodation like, of, of any sort, Noel, do you think it would give you the pause or, you know, the respite? 
that you need to gather your thoughts and maybe get get a little healthier, get a little more positive mentally, uh, and maybe eventually get back into the workplace? Well, it's supposed to be, in reality, of course, it would help me in every way I can. I, get, I suppose I could deal with my current situation that I'm in now. I could deal with my physical health. I could deal with my mental health. And in, in time, I could probably get myself back into the workplace. But at this time, in, in the current situation that I'm in at this time, I cannot do that. I cannot function. I'm, as I say, I'm only, I'm only a man. Like, I'm only human. Like, fine. It's me, my age as well. You have to take into account. I'm 55 now. Like, I'm not 20 anymore. Like. Okay. Maybe back then, I'd, I'd probably have a different attitude because this crisis wasn't happening back then. But no, it is. Like, and I'm, I think everyone in the city is well aware of what the situation is. But at this time, I'm talking about me as an individual. Everyone has their own stories, and I understand all that. Like, so I'm just trying to tell my story. And I, I, as I said, I just think it's the national standards of the way people have been treated. But it's, it's not right. Like, when I okay. look, there's no quick fix solution for anybody. I understand that. They get that. Like, the government are restricted to what they can do, who they can allocate. I, I get all that. All I was asking for was to be treated fairly, but unfortunately, it seems like I'm not being treated fairly. Mm-hmm. I know the numbers and people on the list a long time. I understand all that, and I get all that. The hands are tied with certain things. Like, there's, it's, there's a lot of red tape there as well. But the point of it is, this is my, this is my story, my time, and all I asked was to be treated fairly, but unfortunately, it was a my back sure. to the wall. Yeah, I, and, 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 and I don't, I don't please, no please don't mention any names or specific offices now, but I know on your journey, uh, you've been placed temporarily in, into some places you wouldn't consider fit for human habitation. Well, I went to, uh, well, I went, I went to uh, DAPS. They, they recommended, uh, as I said, I was on my last leg. I couldn't cope anymore. They offered me um, accommodation in what they call the Angus Street. It's a hostel. So I went in there. I met a guy in there. He assessed me. I went through the normal paperwork procedures. I'd done what I'd done. But I was in there. I saw what, what I seen and I'm not going to go into that. I said, every okay. person in their life have, have their own issues and that's down to them by choice. Not, I have my own choices to do things like But when I came out of there, I actually walked away about 100 yards from the building and actually sat down with my back to the wall and the man in me, I just cried me half over and just, is this, is, is this how low on that going in my life? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't want to say it. They said, I'm not condemning anybody. I'm not, I'm not that type of person. I don't go and, I don't condemn people for what they are like. People are what they are through their own choice, and that's their choice. But as I say, when I went in there, with my psychological profile, the way it is, it just wasn't, I felt it wasn't a safe environment. It wasn't the right place for me. I wouldn't be able to deal with my current situation looking at people with their own issues. If you can understand that, like. Yeah, yeah, I can. You know what I mean? So I'd say I made a choice to walk away, like. I, I rang them, and I told them that I explained to the person that was on the other side of the phone, I explained to them where I am, myself, and my psychological profile. And I was courteous about it. I just said to him like that, I appreciate the offer, but unfortunately the way I am in, in my own dark, dark space at the moment, it's not a good environment for me. To be fair, Noel, you're coming across like, if I can say, you're coming across like an open book. It's not as if you're hiding anything here. Uh, you, you, you don't have an alcohol or drug dependency that you have to fight to get over. And in, in that sense, you, you, you may be um, suitable or appealing uh, to someone to offer you accommodation, I would feel. Um, you also ride the bus sometimes just for a bit of heat, is that correct? Yeah, I go on, I jump on the bus, of course, I do like anybody, because those times there, I, I, like, my ankles at the moment are severely swollen, right? I have arthritis, and in the future, I probably have to get me right shoulder, me right leg fused, and if I get that done, I will have no, I have movement in my leg, but I, I, when I say this word, no, I don't want to be offensive to anybody or take it the wrong way. I have what we, I'll have what we call me right leg again. Yeah. You understand me? I never walk like a normal, normal pace, like you know. Yeah, you never walk gaze. on a kind of 
a limp like yeah. it'll be the same it'll be the same with me shoulder hang on there Noel hey, just hang on a second Joan hello Joan thank you for calling no problem I might know I was not because I don't want my voice to be left tonight okay you have an offer of accommodation for Noel yeah yeah I'm suffering the same pain in the neck that he has and um, I what I want to do is look at him first you're willing to meet with him face to face yeah and if I don't like if I get a bad vibe I, I say no but you're getting, you're, you're getting a good enough vibe from the radio right now to, to make contact am, and, yeah. and make this offer. So that's a good sign. Uh, yeah. Noel, Noel, would you be prepared to meet with Joan? And it's a long shot, but you never know. Perhaps if Joan feels you're of uh, uh, as good a character as I feel you are, uh, she may be able to offer you a place. Is that correct, Joan? Yes. Yeah. Noel? Yes, I, look, when I, when, I meet this, when I meet this person face-to-face, I'll never feel so comfortable that I know what she wants, you know? So that's the type of person I am. He's 55, Joan. Oh, okay. Okay, what we'll do is we're going to put the two of you in touch with each other and um, we'll try and set up a a meeting uh, or we'll let you do that yourselves and maybe come back uh, to us. And uh, maybe if it's a suitable offer uh, that you offer and Noel takes up, uh, uh, we can publicise that and the fact that... uh, Maybe other people will be prepared to step into the fray here uh, and help Noel uh, to get back on the straight and narrow, as it were. He's, he's, he's not doing anything wrong, drugs or alcohol-wise, uh, but he does, need, um, he does need his mental condition to be supported. He does need his physical condition to be, um, to be brought well, back. I'm in the same boat. Okay. And do you think you'd be good for each other now? Company-wise? Company-wise? Well, I do not. All right. Let let let's get this uh, let's get this set up. We'll we'll exchange both of your numbers, and one of you can ring the other. Uh, and we would like if you kept in touch with the program, maybe before the end of the week, and let us know how that went on. But Joan, thank you very much for that offer. Okay. All right. Okay. Thanks. Uh, no, that's that's a little something anyway, and a little positivity for coming on the radio. Are you glad you did this, or are you still? If this offer from Joan doesn't work out, are you still going to go on hunger strike and deprive yourself of water outside City Hall? Well, just been on your program now for the last 15 minutes. Like, is that to give me that? Is that to switch in the on my head? Is that to give me that? Does the people over there not care? Right? No, you matter. Which is a great, you, you matter. It's, a great, it's, 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 it's obvious that Joan uh, is, going to, is, is going to have to vet you. I understand that, but one percent of nothing is better than nineteen. One percent of hope is better than nineteen eight percent of nothing. Yeah, so it's the, a glimmer of light. It's a glimmer of light. So there is hope. There's an old story in, in in poker. Once you have a chip in a chair, you're still in the game. You know. You're still in the game. That's it. Until you go all in, which John is offering me to go all in, all it. Yeah, I don't know. Is John still with us? Jo- John, are you still there? I am. Um, what, what's it like for you living alone? It's it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. But you have somewhere to live? I do, I do. I, I live in a three-bedroom house. And he can do his own cooking because I can't. Cause I can't stand too long. Oh, maybe, maybe you're bringing a, a top-class chef into the game here. This could, be, this could work <laughs> out very well. Yeah, I am maybe. a good cook. I, I could say that I am a good cook. So she has no worries in that department in regards to... Being, I, th- I won't say a handful, but looked after, you know? 
Even in Oak, even even just speaking here in Oak Two, Mick, this morning is brightening my horizons. Whether you realise what you're doing for me, like just brightening my day, and all, you know, even just talking here in Oak Two, like, I, I really appreciate it. Uh, as, my, as my mother says, Noel, and, and it's a great old saying, there's only a loan of us all in the world. That's true, that's true. They're all old saying, I don't think the young generation would understand these old meat, but they have a lot of meaning to people like me and you, because like, we grew up in that era, and we understand what the meaning of that is. Like. Yeah. Joan, yeah. How, how do you spend yeah. your days now? It, it must be difficult being alone, is it? It is, it is. So half the time I just don't leave my room. Wow. I don't, I don't do anything. Well, and you need... Anything she needs to address or communication. That's one thing I have. I have great communication skills. I'll address her needs. I'll, what needs to do it, I'll do. If she needs decor done. If she needs all certain things done, I, I'll do all that. Like, you know, that's wow. what I trust my own. Did this well, he, just, if he's sick with his back, he, he don't have to do anything. We just have to start out the room that he's going to sleep in. That's all. Okay. I think you guys would be great company for each other. You can do a bit of cooking. I, you can I talk to each to, other about what's going on yes. in your lives. Be, I think it's going to be possibly once that's you meet. He, He's, he's, he's suffering like me, like, so. Okay. You well, know, I, I just got this vibe. I said, oh, my God, I, I think I'm supposed to help this man. But then I said to myself, I'll, I'm, I'll meet him first, and if I don't like the vibe, because I'll, I'll be too nervous. Um, I, 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 I tell him he can't then. But if, if I feel okay... He can stay and get himself sorted out. Yeah. He's not going to stay forever. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Noel, what, what, what do you think? From intending to go on hunger strike to possibly cooking meals uh, for someone who's going to give you accommodation and being good company for Joan. That's the best case scenario here. Let's get you together and meet. Uh, but I, I have a good feeling that this is going to work out for you guys. I really appreciate yeah. it. And look, what you realize now, what you're after with me this morning is after just lifting me out of a bad place. Like, I know the situation, the current situation is bad, like, but as you say, that can change, you know. It can, it can change in a moment. Have you a tempo? No, no, I'm not very quiet. I just I keep to myself and just do my own thing. Oh, like yeah? Person, yeah. I just keep okay. to myself. I, I'm a, as I say, I won't make you feel uncomfortable in regards to communication or talking about issues oh. that you need to address yourself. I'm a, good, I'm a good listener and I have a great understanding of mental health and things like that with us, you know. So I can understand, okay. I can relate to where you're coming from as well. Like, and I can listen yeah. to you in regards to your temperament and what you need done, if you need things done, I can help you to do it with the best ability. And that's all I can okay. offer, right? Is me, like, what you get yeah, is me. No. And that's, that's it, like, I don't prescribe myself on any other way. Like. Okay, John. Um, we, we, and we, what, are you going, what, what are you going to do about money? I, that's my, that's down to me. I can, I, if you need to pay rent, I'll pay rent. Okay. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that wrong. I'm just saying, are, are you going to have, like, are you going to have money for yourself to live independently? Oh, yeah, of course I will, of course I will, of course. Oh, well, that's, that's, that's all I'm worried about. I don't want no, I don't want no rent. No, no. No, I'm not depending on you for them. Like, I, I look after my own, and I look after the needs of the house as well. That's the type of person I am. All right, guys, let's, 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 let's leave this to when, okay. to when you meet. What we're going to do, Joan, and with your permission, Noel, is we're going to um, supply your number to Joan. Uh, rather than the other way around, so that she can ring you and invite you to meet, uh, and hopefully, and it seems to me like you will get on very well, and hopefully this will be a little bit of good work we've done today. All right, guys? Okay, okay I really appreciate it, and thanks so much for your time, okay? Thank you. Thanks, Joan, and, and thanks, thanks, Noel. Thanks very much. Thank thanks, you, guys, and, and the team will be in touch to supply that number, and I'd love to check in with uh, you guys over the course of uh, the week to see uh, how all of that went. Uh, we have more uh, from the uh, opinion of the uh, phone lines in a moment, but uh, first this article. Uh, a convicted rapist and killer has failed once again to turn up 
for his court date in McCroom. A bench warrant was issued on Wednesday for the arrest of Ian Horgan with an address at 53 Byrne Avenue Prospect in Limerick who was wanted on charges of allegedly breaching the Sex Offenders Act by going on Tinder using the name Kean on dates in May last year. Horgan was convicted in 2002 of the rape and manslaughter of 22-year-old beautician Rachel Kiley in a park in Ballancolig in 2000 and served over 10 years in prison for this and other serious crimes. A bench warrant was also issued when Ian Horgan failed to appear at another court session in McCroom in October 2021. And at that time, Judge uh, James McNulty was informed that Horgan had breached his bail on three different occasions since the last court sitting. So these breaches included not being at home when Gardy called to his home on September 20th, while on another occasion he was 20 minutes late to sign at a Garda station. The court also heard that in uh, 2021, Horgan contacted McCroom Garda station to say he was unable to sign on at the station as his girlfriend was having a medical emergency. Gardy later checked and found that she was not indeed in hospital. Sean Cowell, solicitor for Ian Horgan, told the court he had not heard from his client and was unaware of his whereabouts. And Judge McNulty ordered another bench warrant for the arrest of Ian Horgan, a convicted rapist and killer who failed once again to turn up for his court date in McCroom. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 0818-104-106. It's 12 minutes to uh, 12 midday on this Monday morning, the 9th of May. And line four, Marcella, good morning. Morning, how are you? I'm good. Now, your daughter's mare was stolen. Yes, um, she was stolen 6.10 on Wednesday. Um, Wednesday just gone. Now, she was seen being loaded into a box by two men. They were in their 20s. Um, they were driving a Toyota Vincent with a large silver horse box. And apparently there was a Volkswagen transporter white going along with them. Um, she is a tricolor and she's 20 years plus. Now, she's a retired mare. She's not risable. She's just family pet. Um, she has a cracked pelvis she has an, an old injury and she is on medication so therefore like the horse is not in any use or any good mm-hmm. to these people that have taken her but well, she, might have daughter, appear, she might have appeared to be so to sorry she might have appeared to be of use but you're saying she's not because of uh, what, what afflictions she has no she's not right about because she has a limp the mare it's visible she has a limp so she is not risable or she's not for any use. She's just a family pet. Yeah. Uh, st- stealing of an animal like that involves, as you mentioned, a number of vehicles. It's a very brazen act, isn't it? It is. It is, yeah. Um, my daughter, she's just mentally distraught from this. I'm distraught from this. We haven't slept since Wednesday. We we can't eat properly. We can't focus. We're just completely brain fogged. And I don't mind who has taken her. We just need to get her back. She is our family pet. She is very much cared for and very much loved, but it's just very destroying. Okay, how old is your daughter? She's 12. 12, is it? Yeah. And was the mare stolen from your own property or, or is, is it kept on someone else's property? No, I had a field rented in Glenville in Cork. And who sold the vehicles in question? A guy that was finished work, he was coming along the road and he had seen these two guys very suspiciously loading this mare into the horse box. One guy was dressed in black, black clothes, black hoodie, and he had a black mask on. 
and the other guy has um, a split lip. And oh, he got, he got he, a close-up um, look at them, did he? He did, yeah. He got a visible look of these guys. And he had a bar in his hand. And he just thought it was very, very suspicious looking, loading this mare up with a, a bar in his hand. So he went home and he told his wife that he just thought it was very suspicious. And the next morning he went on social media and he had seen one of his friends had posted it on social media. So he got on to me then straight away and he knew then after putting two and two together that she was after being stolen from somewhere. Okay, and how how did he find you or how did you find that person to get the description? Because I have a few friends that live up in Glenville and obviously I have them checking on my mare for me because I will be about 40 minutes drive from where the mare is. Okay. So let's describe the mare just in case anyone is listening that may have some information. Well, her marking, she's a coloured mare. She's a tri-colour. And her markings are very, very distinct. Like, you cannot miss. There is, like, a picture, well, not a picture, but an image. If you look really close, it either stands out as a cow's head or else it can actually stand out as a map of Ireland in a different diagonal, we'll say. So they're very distinctive, her markings. She has a white mane going into black. She has a white tail with a black um, stripe on one, the right-hand side. Um, it's been reported to the guards, yeah? It has been, yeah. Okay. Now, I know it's a silly question. Your daughter is distraught, yeah? She's, she was last night. She was getting up, getting sick. Um, she can't sleep properly. She can't focus. I had to ring her school. I had to get on to the principal. I'm waiting for her school teacher to ring me back just to make sure that she's okay. And it's just so, so distraught. Okay, um, well, we'll put it out there. Our number is 0818104106. Our text is 0868104106. Uh, Marcella, what do you do from here? You, there's nothing you can do, only wait. Hope, hope that the guards will intervene and, and maybe get a result and hope that the mayor is returned. We have put a reward out there for her. Like, we're, we don't want no questions. We want nothing. We just want our mayor back. She is a family pet. Um, we don't care who has taken the mayor. We just want them to just put her back into some field and for someone just to be walking their dog or just walking themselves and just to take a picture and say, look, is this your mare? That's it. And just leave a deposit somewhere and they can just walk away and we can have our mare back. Okay, so they can put her anywhere and uh, somehow get in touch with you and you'll go and get her collected. Yeah, hopefully. I'm not up in the the world of equine, so I, I don't know. I don't know what uh, what can happen here. Uh, I don't know why they would um, would take her in the first place. I don't know why they would give her back now that they've successfully stolen her. But I know that there's a very distraught mother and daughter in the middle here. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Marcella. We'll do our best for you, okay? Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank Cheers. You. Bye-bye. Now, here is a heavy and rather strange letter. Hi, Mick. I've recently become the victim of a malicious rumour where I allegedly broke into an open farm and was caught on CCTV interfering with a llama. I'm aware of it for the last six days, but I am told that the rumour has been around for at least a couple of weeks and is gathering strength. I've been informed by people that the rumour has spread to towns and villages up to 40 miles away. 
I'm trying to carry on with my life as normal as I've done nothing wrong. But when I'm out of the house, I feel very uncomfortable as I feel that everyone I see knows of the rumour. I'm hearing different versions and I'm very concerned that eventually the original rumour will be twisted into me interfering with a child, which is making me fearful for the safety of myself, my friends and my family. I am very fortunate that I have a strong network of family and friends who are supporting me through this difficult time. I will probably never know who and uh, who started it and why the rumour was started. If the person is listening, you should know that you have hurt me and damaged my reputation. But over time, I will be yesterday's news and looking forward to a happy future. You, however, will continue to lead a miserably empty life. And I've done, uh, I've nothing but feelings of contempt and pity for you that you've done this. I would appreciate your listeners' opinion as to how to deal with the situation if anyone has been in a similar position. Uh, position. Regards, says Jake. I don't think anyone would ever have been in a similar position. Uh, that's a new one on me. Somebody allegedly, uh, so, where Jake is being accused in a malicious rumour of allegedly breaking into an open farm and being caught on CCTV interfering with a llama. Number one, they won't be able to produce that CCTV footage. That should give you some solace, Jake. Uh, but that is a really, really malicious and vicious thing to do. Uh, so if you're one that hears that rumour or is circulating that rumour, then have pause for thought. Uh, someone's being hurt at the end of this, who seems to me anyway, to be uh, innocent. Now then, we were talking uh, to Claire Hayden today, who's going to be supporting Imelda May uh, live at the Opera House tonight. And I spoke to Imelda at great length on uh, Friday's programme. Uh, so we have a couple of tickets courtesy of Claire and Imelda. We'll give them to caller 9, OK? Caller 9 on 0818 Caller 9, 0818 If you want to go along and see Claire Hayden supporting Imelda May tonight. That's it from the Neil Prendeville Show for this morning. My thanks to producer Seamus Whelan and Claire Cronin and to Mark Willington as well. We're back uh, bright and early after the news at 9 o'clock in the morning. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.